0: If you like listening to Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love watching us.
1: Really? How? Wait, I, guess, I guess you will. I guess you will. But how, how can one do that, Mark?
0: Now you can download the free Electric Now app featuring video podcasts of the Inglorious Trexperts, the 430 movie, best movies never made, and tons of free TV, movies, and more. You're saying so it's all, all free? All free? i saying it's free. 100% no free. Page, There's no Patreon. There's no premium fees. There's no Electronic Frontier. Well, there's no excuse not to get it then. There's no excuse not to. That's what I'm saying. So download the Electric Now app today and start watching us right now.
2: You must learn to listen to The Rebel and the Rogue, or you
1: will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan.
3: If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available
0: every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A.
1: Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious
0: Traxperts. And welcome back to the conclusion of our 101 (laughs) (laughs) greatest sci-fi episodes of all time, Holiday Countdown. And to help count us down to the new year and the greatest, number one, greatest sci-fi episode of all time, you may think you know what it is. You could be right. You could be wrong. You could be crazy. Ashley Edward Miller, welcome back.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we're glad to, ha- we're glad to have you. And of course, straight out of Burnett work, that didn't work. Straight out of, well, yeah, that enterprising gentleman, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Welcome back.
4: Well, it's good to be here. You know, I, I haven't been able to talk about Space Academy or Jason of Star Command, so I'm hoping that we'll be able to do that in the next 25.
0: Dude, we'll find yeah. out. What is, before we start, what is the show that you're most surprised has not shown up yet on the countdown, Rob? Arc 2. I was going to say that. <laughs> what about you,
3: Ashley? What are you most surprised has not made an appearance on our list yet? Uh, you know, uh, in, until, you know, uh, when Rob said Jason is Star Command, I hadn't even thought about it, but I got to say Jason is Star Command. Because Damn. Jason is dark Command.: Darren, is there something
0: that surprises you that actually makes sense? Nothing, <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> nothing surprises
1: me anymore, but okay. I sure wish that super friends were represented.
0: Well, oh. here's a surprise that will surprise no one. Once again, returning to the countdown, at number 25, it's Space 1999. Look, Darren, tell us about this. In <laughs> celebration
1: of the holidays, I want to do something very magnanimous and give this episode to my friend Robert Meyer Burnett
3: <gasps> that's so cute
4: wow that is Merry
3: christmas
0: everyone wow
4: <laughs> thank you thank you so much uh, this episode uh, if you were a child and you saw this episode this might have been the episode that caused you trauma for the rest of your life yes it is another it is another episode of Space 1999 from the first season called Dragon's Domain. Damn
2: it, there's gotta be something. He was right about those ships. That doesn't mean he was necessarily right about the monster. No, but it makes him look a whole lot right. Victor? Sorry, John, but beyond the obvious explanation, I can't be much help.
5: The obvious, then?
2: Well, they do look somewhat like flies caught in a spider's web. Which brings us back to
4: monsters. And it's a very very interesting off-brand episode because it starts out with Dr. Russell telling us the story of a patient named Tony Cellini who led a probe... Out. They were going, uh, he was the uh, the captain of the first Ultra Probe. Right. And, and they were looking for the planet Ultra. They were getting signals. Or, 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 and they were, they were going to go out there, and they have this really cool ship, as Space 1999 does, and they discover a starship graveyard mm-hmm. with spaceships from many different alien races that no one's ever seen before. It's a fantastical find, as far as humanity is concerned. And they end up docking with one of these ships and boy was that a mistake not since people have stepped off the Nostromo on the surface of LV426 this was a big mistake for Tony Cellini and his crew because this graveyard is truly a graveyard all of the crews of these alien ships are gone because there is an entity a Lovecraftian Cthulhu-esque demon with a giant glowing eye and tentacles. I mean, it is the definition of bug-eyed monster. They come face-to-face
1: with what my and my friends would call the car wash monster.
6: <laughs> 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 because
1: it it takes its victims, it grabs them with horrific tentacles, it stuffs them in his mouth, and then spits out their desiccated
4: husks. St- Perfectly smoking. clean. Smoking, <laughs> desiccated, and, and, and the sound that it makes. Oh, it's and horror. it it mes- its giant eye mesmerizes yeah. you, so you you get sucked in. And <laughs> and the thing is, they play this episode with total conviction. They use a this a, this piece of music, the adagio, adagio you'll remember. It, yeah. And it is it is somber, and and the alpha is drawing closer to this place, but it's it's moved it's somehow it's gotten in the the spaceship graveyard and and no one believed tony cellini's account he was able to get away he was a sole survivor yeah he was able to get away in, the, in a capsule yeah
6: and and, everyone uh,
4: sure it was a big monster sure it was yes. you're just incompetent and crazy they
3: hadn't seen every other episode of the show
4: right and and darren was it not the scariest thing you saw when you were a kid oh my god i i would have nightmares of it constantly
1: Occasionally, I still do, but it's so freaking scary on a show that
0: is already creepy. <laughs> so, and, it, <laughs> What's amazing about this show is we could have recorded this when we were eight, because apparently yeah. our list has not evolved much since then. But I think well, that's
3: wonderful.
4: <laughs> you know, the funny thing is I had a space 1999 lunchbox. Yeah, me too. And the creature was on the lunchbox. Yeah. Although it was you green. Yes. They painted yes. It
1: green and it was getting Dr. Russell. But you get the picture.
4: It's fun. But <laughs> but I, but I blame that, it. <laughs> again, I mean the the episode has such conviction and even though you look at it now and the monster is a somewhat cheesy, but but there is such conviction and the guy who plays Cellini, the actor he has got this strange like Eastern European accent or something. Yeah. Like he's from no, he's Hungary Italian. or Budapest. No, Italian, they had
0: a cast an really Italian accent. But it was supposed to have been Nick Tate. Landau didn't want him to, to be the star of the episode, and they ended up casting this Italian actor because they got like some kind of cash for it or discount. something from from you know I guess whoever was airing it in Italy they right. they were they you know it's a international co production but so he that, has to that's... fight
1: this creature with an axe for
4: crime, with an axe man <laughs> and and it's just. I, it, it, this is, again it's one of those those moments these episodes in my childhood you
1: never forget
4: never forget you never Literally. forget and, and it's like you know I even remember watching this wanting to run away but I didn't want my parents to know I was scared so I sat, I took it I sat there You're and like watched all of it I did <laughs>
0: oh my god i cannot believe it at this rate space 1999 is gonna have more episodes on the countdown than any other series we'll see if it can hold hold the line okay that was number 25 dragon's domain from space 1999 kicking off part four of our countdown which brings us to number 24 returning to the countdown it's battlestar galactica rob burnett
4: well this is like a three-part epic it's a mini epic from the second season of galactica uh this is the pegasus what's that this is
7: new
1: galactica
2: you told me they'd get a fair trial what kind of a trial could they have possibly had
7: i assure you i heard them out i weighed their statements against those of the guards and i took into consideration their service records and commendations it was a difficult decision commander but i dare say it was a fair one
2: they have the right to have their case heard by a jury
7: I am a flag officer on detached service during a time of war. Regulations give me broad authority in this matter.
2: Launch the fighters. You can quote me whatever regulation you'd like. I'm not gonna let you execute my men.
7: I highly suggest you reconsider that statement, Commander.
2: Admiral, Galactic is launching vipers in a raptor.
7: Commander? Why are you launching vipers?
2: Please arrange for Chief Tyrell and Lieutenant Agathon to be handed over to my Marines as soon as they arrive.
7: I don't take
4: orders from you. Call it whatever you like. I'm getting my men. New, oh yes, pardon me. New Galactica, the the David Ike Ron Moore Galactica. It's Pegasus and Resurrection Ship, Part One and Part Two, and it is the return as they they emulated the original. We talked about Living Legend before earlier in this series. This is, again, Kane returns. Commander Kane, this time Michelle Forbes, Ensign Rowe herself, is playing Helena Kane. And she... Formerly Rob's neighbor. My neighbor. Yes, she was my neighbor. Won't she I was, my neighbor? I have a story about that. And um, <laughs> she comes back, and her crew is not as nice. They've survived the Cylon attack, and whenever they capture Cylons, they rape and torture the Cylons, and they're a bunch of bad people. Even Ronnie and, Cox would not go that far. No, he would not go that <laughs> far. And this this is a crew of, of basically they have been stripped of their humanity. Even though they survived, what makes people human is there's not a lot left there. They are ruthless. And they're not from the mirror universe, but they are some kind of bad people. But hey, it's another Battlestar. It's, it's a, a newer Battlestar. It's a bigger Battlestar. It's more sophisticated. They got better weapons. And teaming up with, with our Galactica uh people we it'll be it'll it'll even double our odds that we'll survive and yet by the end of resurrection ship uh commander kane and adama are plotting to assassinate one another to get rid of each other i mean it it is it's brinksmanship and you've got You've got the crews. I mean, they take out a Cylon resurrection ship and it is the the tension is heightened. I mean, this is epic Shakespearean drama in the middle of of Battlestar Galactica. And it does end with the death of unfortunately uh, with uh, Commander Kane,
0: your neighbor,
4: uh, my neighbor. Yes. And I'll tell you something very funny quickly about that. She did live across the street from me for a while. And she would come over and and visit the people that live below me a lot. And I told her because our friend Mojo told me that they were working on Razor, the TV movie that brought back Commander Kane. And I said to her, uh, we were having dinner or drinks or something. I go, you know, your character's coming back, Commander Kane. And she didn't know I was such a geek. And she goes, no, 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 I I died. I said, oh, I know, but you're going (laughs) to come back. You're going to get a phone call probably in the next couple of weeks and one day she came back over one day and she knocked on the door and she's like what's what's next in my career what more am i going to do
0: then bring it back <laughs> into the <Ronnie>. you oracle <laughs> <laughs>
4: you're and, the oracle you're the guardian of forever as a person yeah but it, it, she by the way in real life she was deli- michelle forbes is delightful absolutely yeah. delightful but yeah. this episode i mean if galactica wasn't ep- uh, epic enough These the second season, I thought, knocked it out of the park for the show. And these three episodes were like a mini, a mini movie, you know, a mini three hour gone with the wind style epic. And I don't know if there's a better
0: five minutes of television, science fiction television, the last five minutes of Pegasus in which um the the the, the uh, basically they're about to kill uh Tur- Chief Terrell and Agathon, and uh, Adama decides to launch Vipers to bring them back. And uh, and and on the Pegasus, they find out that Adama is launching Vipers, and she's telling him to stand down. And he says, "I'm getting my men all to this amazing Bear McCreary music." And I mean, as much as I love Living Legend as a kid and still do, Pegasus and Resurrection Ship. Are amazing. And that last five minutes is incredible. And we talked when we were doing Living Legend about how great the end of that is. What about the other Battlestar? This ending is just as good, even better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Michelle Forbes, amazing She's as uh, amazing. Commander Kane. She's
1: great. And also look for her in Swimming with Sharks.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. That's and all I'm saying. Skeptical. Which is not on our list. Not on our list, but there you go. <laughs> but Freedom's Last Stand is, but not swimming with sharks. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with sharks. Other than Kevin Spacey. Okay. So that brings us to 23. our next episode, number 23. And this is Ashley Miller with the show
3: making its debut on a countdown. At number 23, it is the first season finale of a show that honestly probably would have been better if it had ended at its first season finale, if you ask me. But it's a great first season. It's an amazing first season uh, of Netflix's Stranger Things right. The Upside Down. Found it!
8: I knew she was hoarding it. I knew it. Always lying, saying she's out. Small-faced liar.
7: Mike! I found the chocolate bunny! Okay!
9: Are you feeling any better? What's pudding Pudding, it's it's this charcoal goo you eat with a spoon. Don't worry when all this is over You won't have to keep eating junk food and leftovers like a dog anymore. My mom. She's a pretty awesome cook She can make you whatever you like Eggos? Well, yeah, eggos, but real food, too See I was thinking once all this is over and wills back and you're not a secret anymore My parents can get you an actual bed for the basement or you can take my room if you want, since I'm down there all the time anyways. My point is, they'll take care of you. They'll be like your new parents, and Nancy, she'll be like your new sister. Will you be like my brother? What? No. No. Why no? Because, because it's different. Why? I mean, I don't know. I guess it's not.
0: <laughs> not to be confused. confused- saying, Ashley this was a show that wouldn't have been on our list as eight-year-olds because we were living it at eight years old.
3: Yes, exactly. This is a show about us at eight (laughs) years old. Not to be confused Um,
0: with better things.
3: Yeah, exactly. No, look, Stranger Things, the first season of Stranger Things was revelatory. It's like everything you like, I, I think I would have wanted in a show when I was eight years old is in fact Stranger Things. It's set in the 80s, like... It's got this amazing synthwave score. Uh, it's you know got this great sort of dark horror slash science fiction story that's kind of straight out of Stephen King, um, but also a little bit of Spielberg. Um, it's it's just a, a great bunch of episodes of television, and The Upside Down is the culmination of that. And I'll tell you, like, look, there's a lot of great things. Uh, about Stranger Things, but the reason why I specifically chose the Upside Down to represent this series um, in this countdown is because of one character in particular, and his name is Steve, and Steve has great hair, uh, and for nearly the entire season, Steve has kind of been our human antagonist for our plucky little kid Uh, heroes right he's the bully he's the guy that you hate and by the time you get to the end of the season Steve kind of emerges as a bit of a hero Steve suddenly has colors that you never expected he has he has depths he has like a real life it's he's a completely different guy and and I am a sucker you know for stories about antagonists who turn out to be real human beings um, you know and a guy that you can kind of rely on um, I, I love everything about this show in the first season. I love how it ends. And by God, I love Steve. I want to be Steve. Who doesn't want to be Steve? I mean, Steve is a pretty great name if you think about it. And that hair.
0: That hair. Well, how about that? Stranger Things was an incredible phenomenon. And in fact, I, I one of the most fun I had during the uh, lockdown was I went to the Stranger Things experience, which was a drive-through experience in Los Angeles. Super fun. Anyway, that brings us to number 22. Now, Darren Dockman and President Barack Obama don't share a lot in common. It's just sad. Darren, unfortunately, doesn't share a lot in common with the pres- former president. But they do have one thing in common. It's that they both love this show. So, Darren, tell us what it is. Well,
1: <laughs> it, it, it is actually, I think, one of the best things that has come out of the year 2020 uh, and it is a, uh, it's a, a, a miniseries that was on FX and it premiered in March of this year. Well, depending on when you're listening to it, um, March, the beginning of March, and it's called Devs. This is your station.
8: But what am I actually doing here?
2: I'm not going to tell you. Don't worry. You're going to figure it out.
9: The last time I saw him, he was headed toward Devs, and then he disappears. Something bad happened to him.
6: You know what happened to him. If you came for answers, ask me what you don't know. What is Devs?
1: And it's uh, written, created, and directed by Alex Garland, uh, who did uh, uh, Ex Machina and uh what he did another annihilation
4: annihilation correct and he wrote Uh, like judge dread or dread
1: dread right um it is so interesting and the way that it unfolds is really um it's really attractive But it's also, it it also has that creepiness that we talked about earlier when we talked about Space 1999. There's a strange world that this takes place in. It's sort of like the world we live in, but it's kind of artificial. And as it goes on, you kind of find out why it feels that way, even though I don't think that was the intent. But the basic story is that there is a huge tech company up in the San Francisco area that is... Developing a lot of software and a lot of uh, hardware to uh, monitor people and to uh, basically uh, uh, perform security for governments and all sorts of things. And they're dealing with an AI, a, uh, a, a supercomputer that they are developing. And the division of this company is called Devs. And it's hyper top secret. Only the top echelons of their uh, coders uh, get to even know about it. And the story is that uh, a new person who uh, proves himself to the uh, the head, the CEO of this company called Amaya, uh, named Forrest, played by Nick Offerman, who is unbelievable, great. unbelievable. He's great. Um, he's great. Not a vestige of his Parks and Rec character at no, all of this performance. No, he's he's, uh, he's quiet and mysterious and freaking scary. And haunted. Yeah, and absolutely. Haunted. Um, you know, it's sort of like if Steve Jobs had a beard, okay? Uh, and this, uh, this uh, person who, who becomes a part of Devs also attempts to steal the coding for this project. And he's found out. And he's murdered in the first episode. We know this as the audience. However, his girlfriend, uh, Lily, played by Sonoya Mizuno, uh, who is amazing as well, she uh, she notices that there are some inconsistencies about this, about her boyfriend disappearing and being found dead. And there's uh, records of him setting himself on fire that she finds out to be uh, falsified. Um, it's a web of intrigue and strangeness and mystery. And... It opens, as the, as the show goes on, as you learn more, you realize you know nothing. And it's, uh, it, it, it's an it's a interesting maze that you go through when you're watching this, um, that you think it's going one way and it's completely in the other direction. Basically, they create a, a machine that can look at any point of time anywhere and it's amazing. They, uh, they basically, it's, uh, they extrapolate from little bits of matter and and analyze the rest of the universe from that. It's very, it's something very uh, akin to something that was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Um, and it's, it's amazing. You have to watch it. You have to watch it from beginning to end to let it unfold because it's very well crafted. It's, uh, it's, It's very, I hate to say stylish, because that's usually a negative thing for me,
0: but it's handled very well. And if you don't trust Darren's opinion, President Obama (laughs) Obama. today put it on his (laughs) best television of the year, including Devs, Better Call Saul and The Boys. So forget I would go along with all of them. Wait, I, yeah, I oh, this is amazing. Darren agreeing with with the, with President Obama. Well, that's ah, gonna, as if I couldn't love on. President Obama anymore, the, this list was fantastic.
4: So. I have to say though, the seventh episode, the penultimate episode of this show, uh not since I saw the Hubble deep deep image, you know, the, when they had all the galaxies that led to us doing free enterprise in a way. I was in an existential crisis when I watched episode seven of this show, right.
6: yeah. Okay. Because
4: the the what what happens and what the the ramifications of what they've done, and there is a moment where they're looking at what they've wrought, and you realize they might not, we might really be in a simulation, a right. simulation and a simulation and a simulation, and the ramifications of I just I had to stop watching Blew the show. Blew your mind. I did. I had to come back to it and be like. I was walk I think I walked around the block with the dogs and was <laughs> contemplating what it all meant and I was like, wow and I it really hit me hard it was it was pretty great and the production design is
0: sensational yeah uh, the, 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 the the way that they built this uh, for lack of a better word AI uh, and this whole campus where this takes place is uh, right, is, is, is phenomenal box, boy, and I know <laughs> yeah I know I actually you're not a big fan of Alex Garland but uh, but uh, you know I think that's... <laughs> you're was, wrong. Was,
3: I'm not, <laughs> my god! Right, but no, no, no. Look, here's the thing. You a-holes. I trust all of you, right? Like even when I disagree with you, I trust you. You should. I like, I desperately want to like this show. So even though I gave up on it after episode four, mm. because I have, I hold all of you in such high esteem. I'm going to push through. To episode
0: eight. just Battlestar see- Galactica first.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> but it's like, but, but to me, like the Galactica thing is like V'ger wanting to touch the creator. Right? <laughs>
0: that's,
3: that's a totally different deal.
0: <laughs> Show me on the doll where V'ger touched the creator. Touched you, exactly. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> that was Devs. That brings us to number 21. Next generation returns to the countdown, not surprisingly, with a beloved time travel episode, yesterday's Enterprise.
9: Captain, I would be lying to you if I told you there was a chance in hell of coming out of this alive. Why doesn't your ship come back with us? The Romulans would be no match for your weaponry. I can't do that. No, I suppose not. You don't belong in our time any more than we belong in yours. To be honest with you, Picard, a significant number of my crew members have expressed a desire to return even knowing the odds. Some because they can't bear to live without their loved ones. Some because they don't like the idea of slipping out in the middle of a fight. But I have told them that in the here and now, the Federation needs another ship against the Klingons. And we'd better get used to being in the here and now.
2: But if you go back, it could be a great deal more helpful. The war is
5: going very badly for the Federation. Far worse than is generally known. Starfleet Command believes that defeat is inevitable. Within six months, we may have no choice but to surrender. Are
9: you saying that all this may be a result of our arrival here?
5: One more ship will make no difference in the here and now. But 22 years ago, one ship could have stopped this war before it started.
0: Yesterday's Enterprise is the Star Trek series we all wanted to see on a weekly basis in which the Enterprise travels to a war uh universe in which we're at war with the Klingons and only Guinan holds the key to saving us from ourselves. It's the it's, next generation uh, episode
1: for fans of Wrath of Khan.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, th- the reality is the thing about yesterday's Enterprise, and I'm only half kidding about that, is um, uh, season three uh, is, is a miracle that, that, that it, it, it's as good as it is. And by the time yesterday's Enterprise uh, uh, happens, it was being made under the toughest of circumstances. It was a, a pitch by a uh, Michael Pillars assistant, Eric Stilwell, um, but um, basically they were barely keeping ahead of the production buzzsaw. Thanksgiving was coming. They had nothing in the pipeline. They basically ha- uh, um, had to put yesterday's Enterprise into production with no script. And they wrestled this beast to the ground. And uh, it just goes to show the mother is the necessity of invention because Yosei's Enterprise remains one of the great Star Trek episodes of all time. And he uh, uses time travel to service character rather than just be a giant mindfuck, which is always a better way to deal with time travel as, uh, as things like Back to the Future have shown us or even Endgame where the time travel illuminates our characters rather than is just there for some kind of science fiction MacGuffin. Um, But it's a, it's a great episode. Uh, It's extremely well executed. It's brilliantly directed by David Carson who underlights the bridge and just gives it a really good look. It's dark, it's fatalistic. It is uh, the antidote to the saccharine anodyne world of the next generation, which, you know, uh, is, is really fun for an episode. And it's our choice for number 21, Yesterday's Enterprise. What a shame. That brings us to, to number, 20? number 20. Number 20, the owls are not what they seem. Robert Burnett.
4: Uh, I have to tell you, I don't know what this episode of television is about. I've watched it uh, four times, I watched it twice back to back when it aired. And this is the eighth episode of Twin Peaks, The Return, episode eight. Not And it begins with Agent Cooper doppelgangers that were created because of Bob, the evil spirit and the black law, I, you, you can't even, and then we wind up, <laughs> and then we wind up, uh, it, it is an art film about the Pandora's box of the nuclear age. And perhaps when the we set off a, a nuclear bomb that we might have unleashed a true supernatural evil in the world, Maybe the devil, maybe something worse. There are the birth of strange creatures that might have been mutations of all of this. It is a meditation on on the act of creation and the act of destruction. Uh, you know, uh, it 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 is half most of it's black and white. It looks like David Lynch wanted to update Eraserhead and do something that was much more about where we've come as a species, and it is one of <laughs> it's one of the most fascinating hours of television i have ever seen and you could hang it on a museum on an endless loop and people would just stand there transfixed if you knew nothing about twin peaks you didn't know anything that was going on you could still watch this and get something out of it and i think it, it it was a knockout episode of television if that show wasn't weird enough this was something that like blew the roof off and, and the filmmaking is impeccable. And what's so funny is it was written by series creators Mark Frost and David Lynch. And I'm like, how do you write this? Like, I would love to read the original script of this episode. Uh, I would like to see Jeff Goldsmith cover it in his screenwriting podcast and his his magazine, because maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, because it is one crazy episode of television. Rob, and it features our good friend Carl Struckin, who, of course, uh, uh,
0: diehard listeners <laughs> oh. and glorious trexperts may remember from our famous convention in Las Vegas, which we found out was being funded by the mob, in which case everyone found out they no longer had hotel rooms, but <laughs> Rob and I smartly got rooms at the Mirage, while everyone else suffered in some cockroach and rat-infested shithole, and that <laughs> That was at which point we then all desperately looked when everyone said we want to come and crash at the Mirage. We walked around. The only restaurant that was open was Planet Hollywood. We proceeded to enter Planet Hollywood with a bunch of stars from Deep Space Nine that no one knew. Except for Carl Strukian, because he was in the Adams family. We proceeded to have course after course cupped for us by Planet Hollywood. Everything from Captain Crunch's crispy Rice Krispie treats to our entrees to our many desserts. But the question uh, is Did he have the little gong with him? He did not have the gong, sadly. (laughs) He, He was actually really, really nice. He is really super nice, super nice, super nice. (laughs) And uh, it was a bizarre evening because the fact that we had traveled to this convention, which imploded while we were there. But, uh, and I mean, literally the embarrassment we all had on our faces as we slunk into Captain Hollywood, uh, Planet Hollywood, because we had nowhere else to go, <laughs> and uh, and then to have them just sort of complain. It was funny because I remember like Aaron Eisenberg and, and 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 Chase and and uh, um, uh, uh, uh Max Grudenschick, and nobody knew who they were, and a bunch <laughs> of other people. But Carl Strucke, what can we get you, Lurch? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was—it's it, just one of those great Star Trek memories that you will hear about on the Trek Sports. But yes, Episode Eight—I still don't know what happened in that episode, but I know I liked it. <laughs> and uh, really, a magnificent work, uh, as close as anything on this list comes to being true art. And, Can you imagine uh, someone giving network notes on that episode? No, and I don't think they did, because it was David <laughs> Lynch writing, d- directing for Showtime. Now that brings us to episode 19, and the return of a classic. Of course, I'm talking about Star Trek. Darren Doctorman, tell us the next Star Trek episode to make the cut.
1: I'm sure you've all wondered how Vulcans choose their mates. Uh, well, no, they don't choose them logically. They shroud it in rituals that are, are go back to antiquity. And the mating ritual happens every, or the mating drive, the pond Far, happens every seven years. And we learn about biology all of this. Vulcan, it's biology. Vulcan biology. The birds and the bees are not Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a muck time. The opening episode of the second season of Star Trek,
5: Captain's log, stardate 3372.7. First Officer Spock seems to be under stress. If I want anything from you,
2: I'll ask for it! If you don't get him to
5: Vulcan within a week, eight days, at the outside, he'll die.
9: I await you. Who is she?
5: My wife.
8: She chooses the challenge. They will choose thy champion. This one.
5: This combat is to the dead.
1: We get to learn so much about uh, the Vulcan planet and the race of Vulcans and how they manage with this whole crazy thing called love. And uh, it's really wonderful. We, uh, we see the land of Spock's family, their place of Kunut Kalifi, which means uh, uh, wedding or challenge. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Um, it's sure just great. Been.
0: You're the trexpert. You know. Don't <laughs> you know? You don't need to ask. Don't you know? This
6: is your job, man.
0: It's your one job.
1: I'm a trexpert, but I'm not conceited about it. Oh,
3: conceited.
0: Well. Who uses the word conceited? <laughs> I'm Noah. a conceited ape.
1: Um. Anyway, <laughs> it, <laughs> look, a time is so good. Um. I, I would. I would have it on my uh, on my top five list of Star Trek episodes. Just in it general. was. Um. Because it's years ago. it's. Don't tell me my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the relationship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in this is so good, and it's so finely developed, and and uh, and it blossoms where we see how these men interact with each other, wh- whether they want to or not. And uh, it you know it it involves a beautiful girl and a fight to the death and. Trickery God. and and ancient rituals and uh, an old Vulcan lady that can't do the the Vulcan salute very well. Um, old oh, Vulcan just, lady, magic. That's
0: T'Pau. She oh, has Vulcan Vulcan in rightist, one dude. Package. Come on now, Celia Lovsky. Come on, nope. we're trexperts.
1: Yes, we're experts I know, but we can call these what they are. They're they're fun. Oh, the Vulcan women, the women, the women, and uh, to Pring his betrothed. Has to be the most crafty woman ever in any Star Trek. She yeah, has this so. thing planned down to the letter and she knows what she's doing, man. And you better watch out. That's yeah, all I got She's sure. sure. she
3: will have done Yes.
0: Fans of this podcast may recall when Rob and I were in Vegas. This was a different <laughs> trip. We, uh, we were doing a sci-fi kids day to raise money for the, I have a dream foundation. And at that time we had many fun activities at the amusement park. That's long gone there. One of them was you had these giant long poles where you would fight the other person, not to the death, because of course, <laughs> Hopefully then we wouldn't be able to for the charity, but you would fight. So, When Rob and I scouted out what we would be doing at Sci-Fi Kids Day, we immediately realized that if we were going to have this take place at our Sci-Fi Universe Sci-Fi Kids Day, we had to have the music. And as a result, through much sturm und drang, we made sure that the Las Vegas, that the MGM Grand, during these competitions, would play... And we called it the Kuna Khalifi. Kuna Kuna, Kuna, Kuna. The Kuna Kuna the
6: Yeah.
0: So anyway, it was great. Because... We made it the Amuck time arena and we had the music and we had the whole thing going. And everybody had these that's two on woon Amok time and arena. Yeah, <laughs> they had the <laughs> the the, the, the on and they had the Lirpa, the Lirpa. They had the Lirpa. wasn't your brother there? The foam at the end. No, it was my dad who came.
4: Oh, because your my brother and I came. did got in a fight. Like, I mean, not we didn't get in a fight, but we were and in my something may like have that. Been there. I, I, I don't think, know because I, I th- seem to imagine he beat the hell out of me.
0: But we did this amazing and we had we actually had cast members from the outer limits. I remember we had Densham, and we had uh, um uh members of Space Above and Beyond and Babylon Five, and then we ran into Richard Biggs. Yeah, Lisa Reen went and got Richard Piggs to go be in the on the on the thing. Anyway, those are the two late Las Vegas stories I can tell on this podcast. <laughs> the third Las Vegas story involving Rob Burnett, I cannot tell. So we it will move never- on now. <laughs> to um our next episode which is number 18 i don't do that again, anymore. again returning to this countdown battlestar galactica the episode is lay down your burdens you
8: see we're not like you we can admit our mistakes and we're not afraid of change so you abandoned the colonies leaving behind a devastated nuclear wasteland Yeah, we're supposed to be grateful Our pursuit of this fleet of yours was another error. That's two for anyone who's keeping score. Both errors led to the same result. We became what we beheld. We became you. Amen. People should be true to who and what they are. We're machines. We should be true to that. Be the best machines the universe has ever seen. But we got it into our heads that we were the children Mm -hmm. Of humanity, so instead of pursuing our own destiny, of trying to find our own path to enlightenment,
0: we hijacked yours. Lay down your burdens is the two-part season uh, finale of the second season of the revamped Battlestar, the, the revamped, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> this is the amazing episode involving the, uh, the 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 election between Laura Roslin and Baltar, in which basically. Uh, the election results are fabricated because they can't risk um, uh, uh, Baltar becoming president of the colonies. And we see what happens when he is elected to office, as a matter of fact, because of course, he demands that they settle and make a colony of, uh, of of new Caprica on this, this planet that they found. And uh, in one of the great... Uh, Time jumps of all time. for the, It'd been done in China Beach, it'd been done in Alias, but probably never as effectively as in Battlestar Galactica where they jump ahead in time to the um, arrival of the Cylon fleet, which promptly occupies uh, Caprica, forcing a skeleton crew aboard the Galactica, the Pegasus and the fleet to jump away just in time as the uh, new Caprica falls under Cylon occupation. It's one of the great two-part episodes of any sci-fi series. It's a mm. phenomenal season finale. And it is a remarkable ending to a remarkable season and kicks off the new Caprica arc, which is equally great in uh, the new Battlestar Galactica. Agreed. And that takes us <laughs> to number 17, now finally starting to show some love on our countdown, the original series. Ashley, tell us what it is.
3: You know, Mark, in this galaxy, There is a mathematical probability of three million Earth-type planets. But only one Las Vegas. All of the universe, three million, million galaxies like this one. And in all of that, and perhaps more, only one of each of us. Don't destroy the one named Balance of Terror. Coming in at number 17.
5: (laughs) Captain's log, stardate 1710.0. The Starship Enterprise is under heavy attack by an enemy vessel. Obviously, their weaponry is superior to ours, and they have a practical invisibility screen. Helm, hard over. Phasers, fire, point blank.
8: I'm pointing out that we could have Romulan spies aboard this ship.
5: The Earth Commander will follow, he must. And when he attacks, we will destroy him. Permit me the glory of the kill, Commander. Tom,
2: we have him.
8: Move
5: toward him. We can get just one phaser going. Phasers, Mr. Spock? Impossible, Captain. We have some of the old-style nuclear warheads aboard. Yes, Commander, but only for self-destruction. Place one in with the debris. Ah!
3: Balance of Terror is one of the, the great science fiction war stories, hands down, period. It's a great submarine movie. Um, it is a, a great story about um, our prejudices, about the enemy. Um, it is a, a great action story well told. I think that Balance of Terror establishes so many things we take for granted about Captain Kirk. His resourcefulness, his doggedness, his empathy, his love for his crew, and the way that he feels every death, every loss. Um, It it really establishes him as as a human being and as a sorcerer. (laughs) um balance of terror for for my money is and i think i don't know that you guys would disagree with me here i mean look we're like we're sitting at what episode like you know 17 on this list (laughs) that it is one of the great star trek stories of all time um it is one of my absolute favorites i can watch it again and again um mark leonard is amazing as the romulan commander who has an equally compelling story kind of on the B side of this episode, dealing with Kirk. You realize that he, even though he's a Rymulan, um, has his own humanity, uh, that the enemy are themselves interesting and and three-dimensional, that this isn't just a a, a game. Um, Balance of Terror is so powerful. And, And the thing I think that makes Balance of Terror so special, right, and the reason why it works is it was written at a time where, you know, look, these writers had been through some shit, man. Like, you know, they had actually been to war. They had actually done things. They, they weren't kind of, you know, rebaking things that they loved from their childhood. You know, they weren't uh, reprocessing things that other people had spit out. They were writing about things that, that meant things of import to them. Um, and that's why it feels so authentic. That's why it's so powerful um, and and so great. And to me, you know, Balance of Terror is one of those episodes where I, I would say, if you want to understand Star Trek, if you truly want to understand it, watch this episode. It's
0: one of the great indictments of xenophobia, because of course, not only do you have Spock um, free, uh, safe styles after he's expressed nothing but contempt for him the whole episode. But you also have this meeting of the minds between Kirk and the Romulan commander at the very end, even though they're enemies and they bought both lost people that mean a lot to them over the course of their battle. They kind of find this common ground across the, the stars Uh, you know, and and find that they have more uh, that unites them that divides them. It's really a wonderful episode. And of course, as you said, it's, it's, it's a world war II submarine movie gussied up in sci-fi trappings and one of the great Star Trek episodes.
4: And I think also something that's atypical from Star Trek is that you spend a lot of time on the Romulan ship. Normally we would see our crew interacting with the aliens of the week, but in this case you are on the, the Romulan ship. In addition to the great, mccoy speech there's one of my favorite exchanges in, in in star trek ever in this episode when the centurion basically our romulan commander's best friend and first officer whatever he is he's just the centurion and mark leonard is musing that you know my gift he says my gift to the homeland another war we've proven that our new weapons can penetrate their shields and we're traveling back home to say the federation is weak and great Great. And and the centurion basically says, but that's our duty. You know, if 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 that is the case, if there is weakness, should we not go after it and exploit it? And Mark Leonard says, but must that always be so? Yeah. Do we have to go to war? Do we have to do this? Is there not a better way? And and that exchange is one of my favorite exchanges because I really feel that for the first time, even when I was a kid, I'm like, wow. I wouldn't normally get to hear this. This was like hearing a conversation that adults are having that I'm not supposed to hear, but because it takes time, you realize that this commander is a a great man. And at the end of the episode, when Mark Leonard says to Kirk, when the Romulan commander says to Kirk in another reality, I would have called you friend or I could have called you friend because there is that mutual respect. And you realize that these men are forged of the same steel and yet, They're on opposite sides because of circumstance and fate. There's also a great example of how you write the big three.
0: There's the scene in the the briefing room Mm -hmm. where they're deciding whether or not they're going to cross the neutral zone and you know they're getting you know counsel about what they should do and ultimately kirk decides he's going to violate the treaty and cross the neutral zone and mccoy is like you know are you sure you know what you're doing you know and uh you know they all file out of the briefing room because they know this may be their last mission and this is a great score and it's really powerful and it is a great example of captain kirk making the hard decisions and being in command you know, and and that's why people forget with all the camp and all the fun and all the silliness that the, the, there's real stakes and that Shatner is the most decisive and most powerful uh, uh, person to ever command a starship.
1: And it shows him taking advice from Spock and McCoy, and and synthesizing that and making the decision from
4: that. Besides the, the two sides of his personality, the two sides of his brain. And and also, there's that great moment when Spock says. I agree, attack, Yeah, you know, and you don't expect that to come from Mm -hmm. him. And he's used logic and he's deduced, no, no, no. We can't afford this ship to get back home. We dare not show weakness.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's a great episode. We all agree. It's number 17 on our countdown, which brings us to number 16, another show making its debut on our countdown, very high in the top 25. It's The Prisoner.
5: I think I wouldn't mind a fortnight's leave there. It isn't for life, eh? Far a cry from Sing Sing. I'm sorry to interrupt an afternoon's golf, Colonel, but this is not a joking matter. My dear fellow, you really mustn't blame Thorpe. After all, you yourself, on occasion, could be a little skeptical. That's why you were such a good man. Why we were so sorry to lose you. The evidence is there. A set of photographs from ground level of a holiday resort and a schoolboy navigational log on the back of what you call the village newspaper. <coughs> no, I'm sorry, it's the best I could do in the circumstances. You'd hardly expect the village store to issue Saxton's, would you? Indeed, indeed. The face was as you said it was. The Tally Ho, a daily issue. Morning or evening? Daily at noon. What are facts behind Town Hall? Town Hall? That's right. Town Council? Correct. Were you a member? I could have been. It's democratically elected once a year. Democratically? That's what they claim. And they're all numbers. No names. No names at all. Just numbers. I see. Numbers in a village that is a complete unit of our own society. A place to put people who can't be left around. People who know too much or too little. A place with many means of breaking a man. Intriguing. They have their own cinema, their own newspaper, their own television station, a credit card system, and if you're a good boy and cop up the secrets, you are gracefully retired into the old people's home. But uh, no escape. They also have a very impressive graveyard. Which you avoided. The village was deserted. Perhaps they were on the Democratic annual
4: outing. Uh, The prisoner... 17 episodes of wonderfulness. I just finished doing a series on YouTube where with uh, Az from uh, England, we, we reviewed every episode individually and we both agreed this is probably the best episode of The Prisoner. Uh, as we know, our character, number six, who remains nameless in the series, but he might be John Drake from a different show. But number six wakes up in the village, which is this open air sort of prison, this ideological and actual physical prison that he's been put in where secret agents go to have their minds probed. Why did you resign? They want information from him and everybody's gone from the village and he gets to escape and it's a long 25 days at sea and he goes on an odyssey and he gets all He runs across pirates and brigands and all kinds of people. And he fights his way back all the way to London. He gets back home and he goes to his superiors, the people that, well, did they imprison him in the first place or not? They seem to be sort of happy to see him. A woman, Missus Butterworth, is living in his old flat and driving his old car. And uh, he explains his ordeal. They all are serving sort of his own pancakes. <laughs> yeah they they don't they don't believe him necessarily, but they give him uh, the air force to use to sort of scout out where this village might be. Where has he been incarcerated? And you think maybe he will have escaped and then he's flying in a jet and the pilot that is flying the jet, they find the village and number six is ejected out of the jet, parachutes back to the village where he's later then imprisoned again. And all of it was just kind of a ruse. And you realize that all of the people he worked for knew exactly what was going on and they were all in on it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those episodes where you, you really think that, oh, he's got out this time. And they it's been emulated and copied so many times. And he finds himself back in that jail, back in the village. And it is, it's just a tr- terrific episode of television. I, although now the trope is a little dated because it's been used over and over again in certain certain concepts or certain uh
0: But it's minted the places. trope, so yes, it deserves it, the credit. Yeah. It did mint a great show. I mean, people, again, this is a show that is losing some of its luster over time. It's not as well known as it should be. It's so smart. McGowan had such a vision, um, mm-hmm. you know.
3: And, uh, it never has a comma been more important, yeah. right? It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, you are. Yes. I mean, come on. It's like it, that statement with a comma or without a comma is, there. T- it means two totally different things yeah i i mean I'm, I'm
0: i'm i'm surprised we haven't seen the prisoners show up till now but it's good to see it finally making an appearance on our list because uh it's a great episode of a great show and that brings us to number 15 and it looks like this show is finally making its move we haven't seen a lot of it but now I'm it's back. starting to show up more and more darren tell us about this it. this
1: is from a little show called uh, star trek
0: it <laughs> uh, sounds good you are gonna
1: have star trek on your star trek podcast uh yeah here here is another one here is uh here is one that gene roddenberry didn't necessarily like and uh it's interesting yes it's the trouble with tribbles from uh, the second season captain's log star date forty-five twenty-three point three.
5: deep space station k7 signals near or total disaster state the nature
8: of your emergency it's a triple <laughs> <laughs>
9: morning I found out that he had babies.
2: They do indeed have one redeeming characteristic. What's that? They do not talk too much.
5: This is my chicken sandwich and coffee. I want these things off the ship. I don't care if it takes every man we've got. I want them off the ship.
2: I think I've got it. All we have to do is stop feeding them. Once we stop feeding them, they stop breeding.
1: While Gene was away on, uh, various duties,
6: various activities,
1: we don't know. Um, a young writer named David Gerald was brought in because he had this story based on the, uh, based on the rabbit infestation of uh, Australia that he thought would be a good idea to put in a, uh, in a space format. And he tells the story of the tribbles, which are little creatures that multiply uh, at the drop of a hat, even when there's no hats. Um, it's, uh, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And it's interesting how the humor works in this episode without without really making fun of the characters. And it's a really clever way that uh, the humor is handled. It's situational rather than a joke based. Kirk uh, is, the, is, the, is the rock that goes through this, responding to all the strange things that are happening around him. He, uh, he gets to have a great foil in William Shallard, who plays Nils Barris, uh, perhaps one of the uh, more weasley uh, uh, bureaucrats in the Federation, um, and it's really a lot of fun. And we learn about uh, Cyrano Jones, who is a licensed prospector and uh, and trader, and he has these little animals that uh, that wreak havoc on the starship and the space station. And uh, we find out uh, of a secret Klingon plot, and it's uh, a lot of fun.
0: A lot of fun. Gene may not have liked. Gene Roddenberry may not have liked it, but everyone else did. A great episode of Star Trek. And it is number 15 on our list, which brings us to number 14. And once again, it's the new Battlestar Galactica. The episode, Unfinished Business.
2: When you stand on this deck, you be ready to fight. Or you dishonor the reason why we're here. And remember this. When you fight a man, he's not your friend. Same goes when you lead men. I forgot that once. I let you get too close. All of you. I dropped my guard. I let this crew and this family disband. And we paid the price in lives.
0: Fascinating in that uh, the plan that the uh, the writers had wanted for Battlestar Galactica in that third season was to spend the entire season on New Caprica and basically do an occupation story, which would have been great because there was a lot to mine there. And obviously the episodes that they did do through Exodus are are pretty amazing, that, that whole series of, of episodes. But the network was afraid that... Uh, battlestar galactica belonged in space and that if they were going to set the show on a planet it was no longer battlestar galactica the network made a lot of bad decisions uh and and this was one of them so they kind of forced them to abbreviate uh, the occupation storyline so it was only a few episodes but what Rod moore did very cagely is after they were back in space he did a flashback episode called unfinished business set against the backdrop of all things Uh, a boxing competition, which sounds pretty lame. Uh, It it is one of the great episodes of Battlestar Galactica because over the course of these fights, we find all these old grudges coming to the fore, uh, most notably that between Apollo and Starbuck. And we find out how they ended up basically sleeping together. But Starbuck was so scared by what had happened that she goes off and marries Anders the next day. Uh, It is sad and tragic and heartbreaking, and of course, it, it, even more powerful is Adama coming to realize that he let down his crew by basically becoming their friend. Uh, this is a very valuable lesson to people who are writing sci-fi today. He, 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 instead of being strong and realizing he needs to keep his distance from his crew, uh, he 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 became friends, and he he let people who shouldn't have gone to the planet. He 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 wanted to curry favor. He wanted to be a nice guy, and as a result, people died. They made bad decisions, and 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 they resented him for it. And he basically said, you know, at the end of this, he comes to realize uh, that that's not going to happen again. He he needs to make the tough decisions. He needs to be the captain. He needs to be the person people don't necessarily like to keep them safe. And it's a wonderful wonderful episode. Um, It it shot beautifully and you would never think the episode with the the big boxing match would would have so much uh, emotional pathos and it's one of the strongest episodes of the series and it's our choice for number 14. Now number 13,
1: we go back to Ashley Edward Miller. Tell us, Ash, tell us. Tell him, Jim. You got to turn on your mic. I was (laughs) muted.
3: It was like my experience with rob talking about daylight except in reverse uh at number 13 is one of my very favorite episodes of one of my very favorite shows of all time i am referring to an episode of star trek deep space nine known as the visitor Hmm.
2: a freak accident freezes cisco in time
3: Don't leave me.
2: Now his son begins a lifelong obsession.
8: You're older than I am.
2: To save his father. We're trying to rescue go, Jake. But to bring him back to reality. They're being pulled into subspace. Could take Jake his entire life. Jake, what's happened to you? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
3: The premise of The Visitor is, it, it, it's... It, the funny thing is it, it's actually very off concept mm-hmm. for the show
4: like far beyond the stars
3: like far beyond the stars and and like in in some ways like look it, deep space 9 was great in all phases of the game but when they would kind of just go outside the box man like it was always great and the visitor was a great example of this and the premise of the visitor is that Benjamin Sisko, Captain Sisko, essentially dies, man. Like, he disappears into, like, you know, a pocket of space-time. And his son, Jake Sisko, spends the rest of his life until he is an old man trying to save his father from the hell he's been trapped in. And the episode tracks Jake from era to era, from childhood to adulthood with his obsession, finding his father, with bringing him back, um, you know, Jake in his later years is played with such humanity, um, so beautifully by Tony Todd, who I've had the the pleasure, the joy, of working with on on two different shows, on Andromeda and on the the show that I'm I'm working on now. What an amazing actor this man is, and he brings such such honest emotion to this role and the funny thing is as much as i loved this episode when i was younger right when i was like in my 20s i love it even more now because i see it now from the point of view of benjamin cisco because how this episode resolves is benjamin cisco saying to his son who's grown into an old man like you know, forgetting his entire life with this obsession with saving him and saying, son, you have to let go. Right. Like this episode is really about being a parent. Um, it's, it's really about loving your children enough, um, to let them be who they are and to tell them to be who they are. It's also about grief. It's about grief in the best possible way. It's, it's, it's so honest. It's so emotional. Um, it's so incredibly powerful. Uh, the message I think is, is universal. It works every single time. If you can get through this episode without bursting into effing tears at the end of it, I don't actually want to know you. Um, Because I I think there's something broken inside of you, unless you've seen it like a hundred goddamn times. I mean, and even then you should still be sniffling kind of like when Spock dies in Star Trek two, man, that still gets what, Yeah, it, it, I I'm sorry. Oh My spoiler. God, we told you no spoilers, oh Ashley. Actually, it, Kirk dies in Star Trek Two into darkness. Oh shit, he went there. Anyway, The Visitor is amazing. One the of my visitor favorite. Visitor is
0: amazing. So say we all. Wrong show. So say we all. Okay, The Visitor, Deep Space Nine, a classic number thirteen. That brings us to number twelve, and dominating our countdown, Twilight Zone, Darren. Twilight Tell us Stone what episode is, is twilight
1: zone is back. And here's uh, here's another good one. Um, the monsters are due on maple street any minute now they're coming.
5: Now, just stop a few of their machines and radios and telephones and lawnmowers, throw them into darkness for a few hours and then sit back and watch the pattern. And this pattern is always the same? With few variations. They pick the most dangerous enemy they can find, and it's themselves. All we need to do is sit back and watch.
1: Look. This is a fascinating teleplay because it basically delves with the idea of paranoia and mistrust and uh, fear that can be generated by ignorance and not knowing what's going on. Um, it's, uh, it's a great story about this little section of town, this little uh, couple city blocks of, uh, of houses and the idea that something bad is happening and they're just, they don't know what to do and everyone starts mistrusting one another and it becomes this amazing, amazing story. It's not an amazing stories episode. It's a toilet. zone. that's a little joke. There. <laughs> a little joke. Um, Extremely little, but uh, well, it's, it's fascinating and the performances are great and the writing is exquisite. And uh, it's, it's, you know, one of the most memorable episodes of
0: Twilight Zone. And uh, what I look it up. I've, what I've noticed about all these pics for Twilight Zone is even though the show is old, the stories are super modern and yeah, contemporary. They're look at the monsters are due on Maple Street. How easily the aliens manipulate people to buy into conspiracy theories, yeah. to buy into fake uh, you know, fake news. fabricated. Well, I, I wouldn't call it fake news as much as I would call it, you know, fabricated. You know, this could apply to so many things out there right now. Anti-vaxxers, people who think the election was somehow manipulated by fraud. I mean, this is so contemporary in terms of the story that um, that Rod Sterling is telling. It's so relevant uh, and, and 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 continues to be. Uh, and the, the whole mob mentality. And uh, just, you know, God, could you imagine what Rod Sterling would have done with Facebook? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's, it's just a wildly entertaining episode. I and mean, it is very gratifying, I think, to see so many Twilight Zone episodes uh, on our list that are still relevant. Absolutely. And that brings us to Rob Burnett and number 11, Red Rain.
4: Well, <laughs> this is, as we all know, this once again uh, comes from Game of Thrones it is the penultimate, the ninth episode of the third season. And everyone knows that the shit hit the fan in the ninth episode when they had their 10 episode seasons. And this was no exception. Uh, this was the culmination of the War of the Kings. Uh, Rob Stark, uh, you, you had all of our group uh, broken apart you had Daenerys was at Yunkai and they had taken over and they'd made the city safe for for her to come in and occupy you had Bran Stark and you had Samwise Samwise Gamgee yeah right <laughs> <laughs> they're in the north with and Rob Stark had to prove his loyalty to the wildlings and everybody it's there's all kinds of stuff going down but at the uh at the twins at the Walter, Walter Frey's place, Rob Stark and Caitlin Stark and, and the, the, you think the, the army that's going to emerge victorious is there with their supposed allies and weddings are happening, celebrations are happening, but not what they don't realize is the Walter Frey and Roose Bolton have made a pact. And in one of the most shocking moments as, as, um, Sandor Clegane and Arya Stark show up just in time to see the Starks betrayed, and in one of the more shocking moments in television history, uh, Walter Frey's everybody at the wedding turns on the Starks, and they are murdered in cold blood. Rob Stark's pregnant wife is murdered. Rob is murdered. Caitlin is pleading for her son's life, and her throat is slit as Arya watches her family slaughtered and it it's called the reigns of casimir because the song the stark song the, the reigns of casimir is playing by the band is playing as they're being slaughtered and if you didn't read the books and you didn't know it was coming this was one of the great betrayals ever put on television it was one of the more shocking moments you could see because they've built up rob stark and the starks after the after uh Eddard stark ned stark was killed at the end of the first season all of this was going to be their revenge they were going to take their rightful place and run westeros but oh no oh no and it was jaw-droppingly shocking take his home take his gold
7: take his power
8: show them how it feels to lose what they love it's no threat Killing crows—that's what we do.
9: For all we know, Castle Black's already under
2: attack. This is where we enter the city. Or perhaps you lead Grey Worm and me to the slaughter.
9: I'm gonna put a sword through your eye and out the back of your skull.
1: One of the most shocking things in this whole list is how you can remember all of those names. (laughs) <laughs> I, I find that amazing, and congratulations on that.
0: Well, well. the Lannisters send their regards. <laughs> and you know, Rob, it, 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 is, it is so true, because I had not read the George R. R. Martin books, and I remember literally uh, uh, gasping in amazement when this all went down. I, I mean, not since uh, Boba Fett showed up on... Uh, no, no, but uh, I was absolutely... Um, um, I mean, it was un- unbelievable. It was unfathomable because, of course, you know, we grew up on movies like Excalibur, and you sort of know the fantasy paradigm or Lord <laughs> of the Rings. So, of course, you know, Rob is eventually going to avenge his father, you know, Ned right. Stark, and that boy
3: uh, has never lost a battle, <laughs> right.
0: and and you you know where it's going, and there'd be dragons and all this stuff, and uh, it completely inverted the expectations, uh, and and it it never stopped doing that, and. It is just such a powerful hour of television and, and so well directed and, yeah. uh, and and just heart heartbreaking.
4: Heartbreaking. And and the fact that young Arya has to watch her, her family just and and, and Rob's direwolf killed. I oh, mean, man,
3: that's the most fucked up part. Yeah, <laughs> I know, the pregnant wife, who cares, but the
4: yeah, dire wolf.
0: That's
3: crazy, but when you kill the dog, look, I think we all know from watching John Wick, it's like, look, it's horrible when you kill people, blah, 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 but when you off the dog, that's when things get real.
0: I mean, that was just horrible, and <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, that's why it's so satisfying several seasons later, I hope I'm not spoiling anything for Ashley, um, that, uh, you know, when Arya Stark gets her revenge, on Walder Frey so uh, good. as a face so, it's good. It's so, so good. good in that Titus Andronicus moment where she <laughs> serves the pies of his sons to oh. him and then slices his throat and you know uh basically says, I wanted you to know it was a Stark who killed you. And it's uh, it's so great. It's so great. So just, great. You, you know, it's what we said about loss. Whatever problems you might have with the way it's you know, did or didn't stick the landing it doesn't negate the fact that the show was so amazing
4: for so long. Yeah, it was Um, one of the most beautiful shows ever to be put on TV. 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and now
0: that brings us to our top 10. Our top 10. What shows will make the cut? What won't? What will be returning? It's not a surprise to anyone to see The Twilight Zone in our top 10. But what episode? Darren, tell us. How
1: would it be to have a race of super advanced aliens come down and present themselves as saviors for the earth to great. have them. It would be great wouldn't it? <laughs> great. Oh. to have them, you know, uh, cure the pandemic, to have them, uh, pr- you know, provide uh, new machines for uh, advancement to basically create a paradise on earth. How would it be? Well, not all that great if you're in the twilight zone, because there's, <laughs> there's a catch. There's just one catch. Um, this is a great story where we, we start with a, a man on a spaceship headed to another planet. And uh, we learn about what happened to get him there. And look, anyone who has ever even heard of Twilight Zone has heard of this episode and knows the gag behind it, knows the, the twist. And uh, if you've watched The Simpsons, it's, uh, it's on there. It's, in, it's ingrained in popular culture.
3: It's a sex manual. But
1: I'm going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> um, it's called To Serve Man. Obviously, how wonderful is that? To, to, to provide for mankind? Or is it?
5: This is flight number 914 from Earth to our planet. We will be taking off in three minutes.
9: Mr. Chambers... Mr. Chambers, don't get on that ship. The rest of the book, To Serve Man, it, it's a cookbook.
6: No, no! No, no, no!
1: Well, of course, the great gag is I'm going to tell you, if you don't want to hear, close your ears right now. Are they closed? Well, obviously, you can't hear me. They're closed. Um, It's a cookbook. They're (laughs) they're treating mankind like cattle and they're taking them to uh, stock up the McDonald's in space. So, look, it's a great.
6: It's It's, the,
1: the
0: cookbooks made of people. It's, it's funny coming on the hears of, uh, we're just talking about serving uh, uh, Walter Frey's kids to him in a pie. This is not like that.
1: <laughs> and look, <laughs> to the, serve, the aliens to serve. are called the Canimates and they're creepy looking. And it's uh, it's uh, our favorite from James Bond, Richard Keel, it, you know, big, tall Richard Keel Jaws is oh. uh, is the lead Canimate and he's uh, creepy looking. And he's, I think I you can say Richard Shaw since you said our favorite from James Bond. One of our favorites, I think I okay. said, but that's all right. Look,
0: it's great. And it's kids. It's in black and white. So give it a break. Yeah. Okay. Great choice. Which brings us to number nine. It is not an episode of James Bond Jr., the animated show, but rather Deep Space Nine returns to the
3: countdown coming in at number nine. Ashley Miller, tell us about it. Uh. Okay. So at number nine, we have like one of the great political thrillers from Deep Space Nine in which like we truly explore um, the, uh, the concept that uh, the Deep Space Nine um, kind of describes itself so well as it's easy to be uh, an angel or a saint in paradise. I am referring to an episode called In the Pale Moon Light. Blackmail. We had an agreement.
2: I'm making a new agreement. Treachery. What we need
8: to do is bring the Romulans into the war on our side.
2: Deception.
5: When they're finished with us, they're
8: coming after you. Tactics of war. No one wants to see the Dominion destroyed more than
2: I do. Or Cisco's weapons of choice. Uh, As far as you're concerned, you're working for me. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
3: Now, in this episode, Captain Sisko and um, a simple tailor named Garrick, played by the great Andy Robinson, who is just effing amazing, um, conspire to bring the Romulans into the war. And the conscience of a Starfleet captain uh, is tested by the decisions of this, this simple tailor. And what's really great and fascinating about the episode is everything, and without giving it all away, everything that Cisco does is something that in any other Star Trek show, you would question. You would say, well, a Starfleet captain would never do that. But the brilliance of Deep Space Nine is that it allows Cisco to wrestle with those moral questions in such a way that you can accept it because it allows you to understand that he has difficulty accepting the choice that he made um, and the things that he's allowed to live with. The the brilliance of it is that it so well establishes the stakes that you kind of agree, like uh, in all directions. Um, This is Deep Space Nine firing on all cylinders and not just like off format in the way that it does with Far Beyond the Stars and The Visitor. It's firing in all cylinders, completely on format. It's kind of the Er episode of uh, of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, um, and you know, I, you know, it's it's a classic. It, it it just is.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because people criticize. You know, say, uh, you know, Star Trek has lost its optimism and its hopefulness uh, and its positive view of the future. So, you know, which I think we would agree with. And they would say, well, then how do you defend something like in the pale moonlight? And I think very easily because I think in the pale moonlight, it's still people of good conscience wrestling with difficult decisions. And, you know, ultimately he doesn't think he's right, but he's doing what's necessary. So it's not Pollyannish. It's very realistic, but, you know, I think an un, a cynical show, would have its protagonist not wrestling with these decisions, mm-hmm. not having to deal with the the ethical considerations. But you know, this is a guy who who is deeply troubled by the decision, but then goes ahead and does the right thing anyway, because truly the good of the many outweighs the good of the few or the one in this case, and yeah. that's why it's such a spectacular episode and such a a, a, a zenith for Star Trek in general.
4: If I could add to that, you know, people are always saying to me when I'm talking about my love of Star Trek and how I don't think modern Star Trek sort of lives up to to these ideals. They always throw this episode at me and they always say, well, I mean, Cisco, he gets away with murder. And I said, no, he really doesn't. Because if you remember the end of this episode, he says, I can live with it. I can live with it. It's a question he knows he cannot This is guilt that will be on his conscience no matter what, whether they win or lose or whatever. He will never forget that this was done. He will never let, uh, he will always be haunted by this decision. He knows it was the correct decision, but he'll always be haunted by it. And, It And he never will forget.
3: It doesn't try to justify, I mean, in the sense that it doesn't try to like to, to prop it up as like, well, of course, it's obvious. Well, he's right. He's a Starfleet officer. Like, it's exactly the opposite. And And so much went into establishing the stakes of that situation that, of mm-hmm. course, like – you're just right there with him like you have such empathy for him as a character. Of course it works. That is the entire goddamn point of Star Trek that we wrestle with these things with the characters. If the answers were obvious we wouldn't need the goddamn story. Just saying.
0: Very good. Well at number eight, no one will be surprised to see Star Trek emerging as a frontrunner in our top 10. It's Rob Burnett favorite episode. Tell
4: us what number eight is. Jerome Bixby's fourth episode of the second season of Star Trek, an episode that has gone on to resonate even this week on modern Star Trek, and that would be Mirror Mirror. For that time, I have something to say. How long before the Hulk prediction of collective
5: revolt was realized? Approximately 240 years. The inevitable outcome? The Empire shall be overthrown, of course. The illogic of waste was to spark a waste of lives, potential, resources, time. I submit to you that your empire is illogical because it cannot endure. I submit that you are illogical to be a willing part of it. You have one minute and 23 seconds. If change is inevitable, predictable, beneficial, doesn't logic demand that you be a part of it? One man cannot summon the future. But one man can change the present. Be the captain of this enterprise, Mr. Spock. Find a logical reason or sparing the Hawkins and make it stick. Push till it gives. You can defend yourself better than any man in the fleet. Captain, get in the chamber. What about it, Spock? A man must also have the power. In my cabin is a device that will make you invincible. Indeed. What will it be? Past or future? Tyranny or freedom? up to it is time in every revolution there's one man with a vision
4: captain Kirk I shall consider it Our first foray into the mirror universe, as everybody remembers our landing party made up of Dr. McCoy, Lieutenant Uhura. uh, Scotty and Kirk are on the planet, the Hul- the Halka, I guess. Halka, Captain yes. From Str- the Halkans. <laughs> like, the Hul- they're captain talking to the Halkans. They can be Halka yeah, from, from Stripes. They're talking <laughs> to the Halkan Council because this planet is rich in dilithium. They're trying to open up negotiations. The Halkans are like, no, you know, we we can't give you, if anyone is ever loses their lives with, with our dilithium being responsible, we can't do it. And we would sacrifice ourselves as a race to stop. As a race. And Kirk's like, uh, and of course they say, you could take them from us. Kirk says, but we won't. Consider Consider that. that. And, And when they're beaming up, there's an ion storm and a transposition takes place. And our landing party is shunted into a mirror universe and finds themselves aboard the ISS Enterprise, the Imperial Starship Enterprise, which is a martial society where people... They they succeed or they they uh, succeed in uh, success the succession of, of of power on the ship. You assassinate your commanding officer, and that's how you move up in rank. And there's all kinds of this is a this is an evil universe, but it's a universe that also is functional because they have starships. And even though it is it is um it's a bad place. Everybody's got people backing them up. The Vulcans it seems have to be working. Groups. It is working, and and this kind of ambition, it, it, like in the first season, space seed superior ability breeds superior ambition. Somehow, this universe has worked, and it is very dangerous. And uh, the Enterprise is a ship of conquest, a ship of battle. It is not a ship of exploration. And Kirk and Spock have been on many missions that are profitable, and somehow our landing party has to figure out how do we get back. To our universe without letting people know that we're not who we say we are and they have to act like well the people in this universe and it is hugely entertaining watching our our characters encounter various things dr mccoy finds out sick bay is a torture chamber where his orderlies bet on the pain of patience ohura on the bridge finds out that sulu is a cutthroat and as soon as spock and straight and when spock leaves or the kirk leaves the bridge uh sulu will will not lose an opportunity to be rapey and hit on her and then kirk finds out that he has his a woman a captain's woman he's got his own uh lady of the evening or whatever of concubine a very ambitious lady who just shows him that he has a device called the Tantalus Field where he can make people disappear, that he's plundered from an alien lab. And they that, have mirror-
1: that he plundered from an that, alien yeah, lab. Yes,
4: that he plundered from I'm an alien lab. I'm just
1: saying that just for you folks out there.
4: Yes, he did. Who aren't familiar with the episode. <laughs> yeah. So our, our, our characters have to navigate <laughs> this dark universe without giving up. And of course, Kirk, he will not destroy the Hawkins. The Enterprise, the orders from Starfleet or the Empire uh, are to destroy the Hawkins cities and just take the dilithium. And of course, Kirk has to figure out a way, like, how can I stall? And he says, there are other things of value. And he tries to appeal to Spock, but the shenanigans are there. Spock gets the order. If Kirk's not going to do the job, kill him and take command of the Enterprise. And uh, the peril is real and it is so much fun. And I love this, this episode because there's many moments in Star Trek history that I remember. And one of them, actually two of them are from this episode. One is when... Marlena Moreau, the captain's concubine, is explaining things, and she wants. She's ambitious, and she realizes that this Kirk is different. She knows that he's not the same man that left the Enterprise, and they have a conversation. And Kirk tells her, "I simply meant that you can be anything you want to be," and and she can't believe he's showing her this kind of compassion and supporting her as a woman and an officer. It's a great moment, and then of course. Scotty, uh, a coordinated attack. Michelle Nichols uh, shines in this episode. Mm -hmm. Uhura gets more Mm -hmm. to do in this episode Mm -hmm. than in any other episode. She also had an exposed midriff, which made me fall in love with her when I was about six. Mm -hmm. I didn't know why. I just knew I wanted to hold that in my arms. And she was the (laughs) first girl I ever had a crush on with her green hoop earrings and that beautiful tummy of hers. Let me tell you, I don't understand racism after watching this episode because (laughs) by God was I in love with Michelle Nichols. I had never seen anything hotter in my entire life. Let me tell you. And of course, every character gets time to shine. Scotty is trying to navigate the engineering deck to make sure they can get on the transporter. Everybody has to, and of course, they get they get discovered. People try to assassinate them. Sulu tries to kill Kirk. I mean, uh, Chekhov tries to kill Kirk. Sulu's going to, he's hes trying to get the landing party. And, uh, he's going to kill, it's just great. And then, of course, the great speech at the end, when they're leaving the Enterprise, Kirk says to Spock, the mirror Spock, the illogic of waste, Mr. Spock. You know, Find a reason for sparing the Hawkins and make it stick. In every revolution, there's one man with a vision. You know, and of course, Spock says, I shall consider it and then they return to their their Enterprise.
0: That, that is perfectly said. The only thing I would add is that uh, Mirror Mirror, in a way, is the, was the gift that kept on giving. Uh, it's never been taught, but uh, episodes like Through uh, like uh, through the Looking Glass on Deep Space Nine and um, In a Mirror Darkly on Enterprise were both inspired by Mirror Mirror, and uh, while, while never equaled, they were both delightful offshoots. Deep Space Nine traveled to the mirror universe a couple of times. And Enterprise entire seasons did... of discovery.
3: Well, I was going to about certainly Deep Space Nine, and to a certain extent Enterprise, made the most of the mirror universe. Let's leave it there.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Which brings <laughs> us to number seven, returning to the countdown. As we count our way to number one, it's the X-Files. <laughs> Ashley.
3: You know... If there's one thing that we've established in this show, the kids love Ernest Borgnine. But I'll tell you <laughs> who they love more than Ernest Borgnine. It's Charles Nelson Riley.
6: <laughs>
3: That's for damn sure. And um, one of the great, uh, obviously, because it's on this list, one of the great science fiction episodes of all time one of the one of the great you know ufo investigation abduction episodes stories of all time number seven on this list is jose chung's from outer space
9: in short rocky showed signs of being what is known as a fantasy prone personality
2: agent scully you are so kind-hearted he's a nut i just read his manifesto.
7: How did you get a copy?
2: One was sent to my publishers. I don't know what was most disturbing. His description of the inner core reincarnated soul's sex orgy, or the fact that the whole thing is written in screenplay format.
9: It definitely was peculiar.
2: Well, surely your partner didn't believe any of it.
9: Uh, well, Mulder's had his share of peculiar notions. He's not inclined to dismiss anything outright. Mulder, you're nuts.
4: The third yeah. script. By Darren Morgan. Darren
3: Morgan, (laughs) who may be the most (laughs) prolific writer on this list. Maybe. We want to go back and take a look. But I I think he at least is a contender, right? Darren is a total genius. And what is great about Jose Chunks from Outer Space is this episode blew open our idea of what the X-Files could be. You You want off concept. You want out of format. You just go to Darren Morgan, who gives you an episode like this, which is like... You know, it's it's kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's a Rashomon. It's all of those things. Uh, it's just a simple story about an alien abduction and a character named Jose Chung, played by Charles Elson Reilly, writing a book where he's taking the stories from the perspectives of all of these different characters on the events of the episode, which is the abduction of two teenagers, right down to the most insane like uh, appearance of Jesse Ventura since he was the governor of goddamn Minnesota <laughs> as a men in black, as one of the men in black. Hey, just your president, James Earl Carter. I mean, come on, man. Uh, Jose Chung reappears. He's a blockbuster, man. He's like Godzilla, only Charles Nelson Riley. He's a blockbuster. He reappears in Millennium in Jose Chung's Doomsday Defense, which for my money could also have made this list. Um, it's just so much fun. Uh, you know, uh, Mulder screaming like a little girl when he sees an alien is just chef's kiss. It, it, everything about this episode is just delightful.
0: There's nothing delightful about this episode, it was the planet Venus. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. Darren Morgan is the writer's writer. You know, I think we're all in awe of his talent. And uh, every episode is, 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 that, that he's represented here is, is phenomenal. And, uh, but none better than uh, Jose Chung's. Uh, whether you're an X-Files fan or not, this is just a superlative hour of television. And who would have thought that Charles Nelson Reilly... <laughs> Star of Hollywood Squares, Lidsville. Lidsville. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and Match I, Game could be so damn entertaining. Well, absolutely. Darren knew. Darren knew. Okay. Speaking it's of Charles wilson and Riley. It's getting really serious. We're down to number six. Number six. And uh, I, I, the suspense is just killing me. So, Darren, tell us about the return of the next generation well in this next generation episode
1: the borg are back in town baby and Mm -hmm. they're armed for bear buckaroo um it's uh (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it's the uh, amazing uh explosive finale uh, uh, to uh, is it season three? Yes, yes. Season three. Uh, it's the end of season three. The end of season again, three. Again, this is the best is of worlds, best part best one. Best of both worlds, part one. Not talking about part two.
5: I am Locutus of Borg. Resistance is futile. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us.
8: Mr. Wolf, fire.
1: talking about when Michael Piller didn't know if he was coming back to the show. And so he basically wrote Picard out of the show.
0: Here's a and, lovely part
1: of Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Here's a corner I'm writing you into. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a romp. Uh, and uh, the, basically the, uh, the Borg beat the crap out of the Enterprise and they steal Picard. And they turn him into Locutus, which is a great name. I have to say. I I wonder how many children were born with the name Locutus that year. I named both of them. Hopefully not many. (laughs) (laughs) He's a real Locutie though. See, that's the, that's the twist on it. Um, but look, it's a, it's a, it's a great deal of fun and, uh, and true dread. We don't know what's going to happen in the next season. And, uh, they really leave you on a big cliffhanger. Things could have gone either way for our crew. And, uh, it's uh, it's full of uh, excitement and and space battles and all that sort of stuff that uh, the kids like these days
0: well after who watches the watchers and the survivors and yesterday's enterprise it looked like next generation was finding its footing but it was best of both worlds that really convinced us the show had a future yeah. and up until that point there I hadn't really no there hadn't been a <laughs> seasonal cliffhanger and uh, we talk about this in our uh, episode with elizabeth Dennehy, you know that was a long summer, yeah. waiting for uh, part two uh, because it really is one of the great cliffhangers in science fiction history. Mister Worf, fire! Dun dun dun! I'm not going to do dun. it, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's it, it's a great cliffhanger. It uh, you know not since Who Shot J.R. Uh, you know had people waited so anxiously Who to see how the storyline would, <laughs> would resolve itself, and uh, it's a beautiful episode. Uh, infused with a heartfelt dilemma for Michael Piller, who was deciding whether or not he should get out from under Rick Berman's shadow and, and leave for another show, or would he stay? And, and that becomes part of uh, Elizabeth Dennehy's character, I mean, Riker's character, who's wrestling with whether to stay with the Enterprise or leave. And of course, these great Maurice Hurley creations of the Borg uh, are, are utilized uh, extremely well. And uh, beautiful Ron Jones score and uh it's just uh it's just a great hour of the next generation and speaking of the star trek next generation number five marks the return of star trek the original series robert
4: burnett well for for those who don't know what a bottle episode of a television show is that means that they're shooting on the standing sets that exists for a show. So they don't go on location. They don't go outside anywhere. They've just got their sets and they usually do bottle shows to save money. That's something that a production does. They can go over budget on a bigger episode but then they make a bottle episode and sometimes bottle episodes can be good and sometimes bottle episodes can be a little, well, maybe not so good, a little claustrophobic. This next episode might be the greatest bottle episode in the history of television season two's the original series The Doomsday Machine What happened to your crew? Oh, we, we were dead
5: Mr. Sulu you will lay in an evasive course back to the constellation Aye, aye, sir Belay that last order, Helmsman We're going to attack
2: You will carry out my last order, Mr. Sulu Assuming command of the
5: Enterprise, but I would advise against it.
2: Scotty, get us out of here. <laughs> Prepare to beam me aboard on my signal.
8: Gentlemen, I suggest you beam me aboard.
4: It is an episode where it, the tone of it is is mysterious and dire from the beginning. They discover that there are solar systems that are churned up into rubble. They're looking for, or they come across a starship. And whenever they came across a starship in the original Star Trek, you knew it was going to be good. You knew something was going to go down and they find a starship that has been wrecked. I mean, something, we've never seen a Constitution-class starship like the Enterprise that is destroyed. And they find the Constellation. They beam aboard, they, and, and in a great redress of the sets we are so familiar with, these sets have debris, there's stuff hanging from the ceiling, bad shit has gone down on the ship, it is, it is wrecked. And in one of the rooms, they find the captain of the ship, Commodore Matt Decker, and there's nobody else. Nobody else is on the ship, and they question him, and he says,
6: They say there's
4: no devil, Jim, but there is. I saw it straight out of hell. He's clearly troubled by something that they happened. They called him. They begged for help. <laughs> they called me. They begged. And they, they ask him, Matt, where's your crew? They're on the third planet. There is no third planet. Don't you think I know that? There was, but not anymore
7: they called me they begged me 400 of them
4: anyway that was the great william as commodore matt decker darren could probably have done that better but you know i was pretty good actually by the moment i I could not you did so well
0: well that's uh, why i would have loved to have seen as much as i would have loved to seen robert ryan who is their original choice uh william Wyndham is just so perfect in the role and robert ryan couldn't have broken down the way that no no true
4: Good. And you, 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 again, you see a starship captain that is, is a broken man, not because he went, he turned evil, he was trying to do the right thing and save his crew. And he wasn't really, they weren't prepared for what they were up against. And it turns out there is a robot, a giant spacefaring robot machine that's only, only it's raison d'etre is to destroy planets and eat the rubble for fuel and move on to the next planet. A horrible doomsday weapon from some long forgotten war that has been traveling through the galaxy, destroying whole star systems. Sounds like my children, he- honestly. It, it's heading to Earth. <laughs> it's it's heading to the, the most densely populated area of the galaxy, and it is left up to the Enterprise and what remains of the constellation, if Scotty can get her running, to stop the doomsday machine from wreaking more havoc. And it is one of the most tense. Most exciting, of course, Commodore Decker in his compromised uh, mental state takes command of the Enterprise using his rank and is is he becomes Captain Ahab and he is going after his whale and he is going to stop at nothing to destroy this machine because he is consumed by guilt and anger. And at the same time, Kirk is on the Constellation trying to get her working so maybe they can use that and they can team up and destroy the Doomsday Machine and it is one of the great, great, Action tense moments—the whole thing is just great. I mean, it, it, the, the was Saul Kaplan's score is is iconic, uh, almost as much as dun, 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 dun. It's the Jaws theme before Jaws was a thing, and it's but it, 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 it's a spacefaring Jaws theme, and it's just it's just Space incredible. Jaws.
3: That's great. We can sell and,
4: that. And, it's and, delightful. Uh, it also has. You know, even, even when Commodore Decker is, is crazy and he, he, he goes on a suicide mission that leads Kirk and company to discover what they can do to perhaps destroy this, it, even Kirk tries to pull him back from the brink. You know, we're stronger with you than without you. So the humanity, even in, in the face of universal Armageddon, there's still great humanity in this episode. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful episode of Star Trek. Gentlemen, I suggest you beam me aboard. It's great. Uh, great. I mean, even even then, in the most tense situation, Kirk is cracking jokes. Yeah. Cracking jokes. I I, It's nervous. It's nervous energy. Yes. He does
0: not want to get left on the constellation. (laughs) Anyway, uh, a fantastic episode of the original Star Trek number five, the Doomsday Machine, which brings us to number four. And once again, it's an episode of Game of Thrones. It's the Battle of the Bastards. Battles have been won against greater odds. I fought beyond the wall against worse
8: than Ramsay Bolt. You don't know him. (sighs) If I fall, don't bring me back. Thousands of men don't need to die. (sighs) Only one of us.
0: And while most people remember the titular Battle of the Bastards, which was loosely based on the Battle of Hastings um, and is really one of the great 40 minutes of television ever committed to television, not just television, a uh, film in general. Uh, it, it Michael Sapo- uh, Miguel Sapochnik uh, does such a marvelous job of depicting uh, a, a sort of a medieval battle uh, with um Uh, you know, arrows and, and um, uh, um, uh, you know, horseback equine charges. And it is so intense and so brilliantly done uh, that I think anyone who watched this episode was in awe, but what they forget is this episode is so much more than just the battle of the bastards. It begins uh, where um, in, in, in with uh, uh, Daenerys defeating the masters. Um, Basically, Uh, You know, the pyramid is under siege and it looks hopeless. And Tyrion Lannister goes to confront the masters who uh, are are full of cocky arrogance, uh, demanding that she surrender. But uh, Daenerys has, uh, uh, you know, basically is asking for them to surrender based on what they have a huge fleet of ships that are, are attacking the city. Well, that fleet of ships isn't long for the world because Q Drogon our, her trusty dragon who proceeds to wipe out the masters and the fleet. And it's just such a great, again, Peter Dinklage uh, doing what he does so well in that show um, as Tyrion, uh, who is just verbally fencing with the masters. And, and there's a subtle shift in the scene when suddenly we realize that we are, have one up them. It, 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 it is a marvelous, marvelous, a uh, powerful scene, both character and CGI effects. And then of course we have the battle of the bastards, but, the episode ends with one of the great codas of all time, because of course, for many episodes now we've watched Sansa uh, suffer under um, the, 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 the deflayed man, the Boltons, uh, the, one of the, the most awful human beings ever depicted in television, Ramsay Bolton. And she finally gets her comeuppance uh, where um, she literally feeds Ramsay to her, his starving dogs. And uh, normally I think, anyone would believe that this is a sadistic and unpleasant uh, ending, but you, you know, it, you take so much glee in, in him. Couldn't happen to dying. a nicer guy. I, I couldn't <laughs> happen to a nicer guy. And, and that performance um, as she slowly walks away um, for, as, as the dogs, you know, consume, you know, her ex, uh, uh, this Ramsey Baldwin, and there's a small hint of a smile as we go out of the episode. It is a magnificent hour of television, uh, both in its writing and its execution by Miguel Sapochnik. And that is number four, Battle of the Bastards from Game of Thrones. Bringing us to number three in our list. Number three, we're so close, what's it gonna be? (laughs)
3: Ashley Miller, what's it gonna be, number three? At number three, bum bum, bum bum. Um, um, it's one of like the most bug fuck crazy episodes of television. One of the craziest pilots um I think any of us had ever seen heretofore uh when it first aired. I am referring to the pilot episode entitled Northwest Passage of Twin Peaks.
2: Coming Sunday, April 8th, she's dead. Wrapped in
8: plastic. 11:30 a.m. February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks.
2: The Los Angeles Times says Twin Peaks is certainly like nothing else on television.
8: W.C. Fields would say, "I'd rather be here than Philadelphia."
2: The Washington Post calls it unprecedented. This you gotta see.
8: Bobby, did you kill Laura Palmer?
2: Sunday, April 8th, from David Lynch, Twin Peaks.
3: But it has damn fine coffee. It does have damn fine coffee. Well, I'm not even gonna try to recap what Pe- Twin Peaks is about for you. Like, like, if you don't know, then who are you? Why are you listening to this podcast? Okay, it's a murder mystery about like a girl named Laura Palmer who turns up dead, and everybody's wondering why, and it's very sad, and it's like it's all crazy, and it's David Lynch. But what's amazing about this pilot is how scary it is. It's the the control of tone, the the control of mood, of atmosphere, Um, you know, just how surreal it is, but without kind of flying off the handle in a way that, like, you can't access it emotionally. It is just, it's just terrific. And it was a phenomenon, right? Like, guys, you talk about, like, shows where you have everybody talking around the water cooler. When Twin Peaks premiered, and I was in college at the time, like, that was all anybody wanted to talk about. Like that was the thing you got together. You watched Twin Peaks when it came out like every week because you just, you couldn't get your head around it. It was like a drug trip like every week, but it was a drug trip that was, it was comprehensible, but it was just, it was, it was so David Lynch in the sense that it was on the edge of experience. Right. And just so smart. So cool. Kyle McLaughlin So great. Like that cast, they were all in like the weirdest show imaginable. But in that pilot, the weirdness was like, it was just enough. It hadn't yet completely emerged to like to take it's over. Wrapped the- in plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know,
0: look, um, the uh, the Twin Peaks uh, pilot had its uh, premiere at the Telluride Film Festival. And this is before television was considered art or certainly on a par with cinema. And and clearly, the Twin Peaks pilot was it played in theaters um, internationally. They they filmed an ending where it was revealed the uh, killer Bob as 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 the killer, which famously was just uh, a guy from art department who peeked his head up too soon when uh, the camera was rolling and ended up becoming <laughs> Killer Bob in a moment of inspiration by David Lynch. Um, it, it, it's 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 a movie. It's cinema. It's it, extraordinary. Another show again. That had its ups and downs, but the ups so um, uh, transcend the downs that it's not even worth talking about, the, you know, the, the episodes that don't work. Uh, this was a phenomenon and it still holds up today mm-hmm. uh, brilliantly. In fact, um, it's and an it amazing changed television. Episode. It changed television. Uh, th- this is the, uh, the point of demarcation where TV stopped being, you know, cops and robbers and law shows and just boring uh you know sort of predictable to became something completely transcendent and twin peaks was the beginning of that it was the the beginning of probably what is considered well you know the gold the gold the second golden age of television was probably you know with the mtm shows of the early 80s but twin peaks sort of took it to a whole nother level and it's only recently that we're you know a new golden age but uh uh, Twin Peaks really stood out and uh, it's a remarkable remarkable series and a remarkable two hours of television uh, Northwest Passage it was actually called Pilot um, but Northwest Passage was the working title based uh, that they used on on the scripts for a while
3: and by the way I love that show so much that uh, I actually titled one of my fringe episodes like I paid homage in many, many, many ways, in this episode, uh, I, I entitled a fringe episode "Northwest Passage" as a way of kind of bowing um, in the direction of of uh, Twin Peaks as kind of the father of like of so many things. Like I think we now take for granted in television.
0: And it was a soap, and it was sci-fi, and it was horror, and it was fantasy, and uh, it was it was so many genres all mixed together. Uh, it was all of them and none of them, and that's what makes it. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, 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 so very special. So that brings us to number two. We have two films, two, two episodes left on our countdown. And I think you're probably wondering at home, you're thinking to yourself, I think I have this figured out. Do you? We don't know. Darren's about to share with us the number two, the second greatest science fiction episode of all time. Let's see what it is. Darren, tell us number two.
1: Would you give up the universe for love? It's a good question. I don't know, but I know that Captain Kirk came pretty close to doing that in this episode of the original series, The City on the Edge of Forever.
5: Captain's log. No star date. McCoy has changed the course of time. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. Now. All right. Come on. on. Oh, how careless of your wife to let you go out that way. What?
7: One day soon, man is going to be able to harness. Incredible energies, maybe even the atom.
5: Speculation. I find her most uncommon, Mr. Spock. Murderers! Assassins! I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Edith Keeler
1: must die. Oh, Jim!
0: Uh, it's. Uh, I'm shocked. A classic. How did that happen? You I'm know. shocked. I I had this pegged for number one, but here we are, number two. we are, Major number Forever. two.
1: Number two, really? Number two. Yeah, it is. And Who it's does okay. number
0: two work for?
1: Well, it works for me. That's what. Lo- that's what I'll tell you because this is a glorious story uh, of uh, of uh, time travel and love and sacrifice and. Uh, and loyalty and friendship—it's got all those good things in it—and
0: um, probably and, the most romantic episode of Star Trek ever.
1: Well, certainly, it certainly has the trappings of it. Um, some people might think that the that the love story between uh, Captain Kirk and uh, and Sister Edith Keeler um, is a little bit forced, but I think it's wonderful and it is it, played out nicely. Uh, It just kind of happens a little fast. But
3: it's it's 50 minutes
4: of television. 53 minutes of of This is the most romantic episode of the year. I would agree with that
6: one.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I thought a mug time actually was, but it
4: depends uh, depends uh, on what kind of a marriage you were in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, Uh. people know what the story is. Uh, Due to an accident on the bridge, Dr. McCoy gets injected with uh, uh, cordrazine, isn't it? Yeah. And a hundred times the the recommended dosage and it drives him insane. He escapes through the transporter room down to the planet surface. They've encountered a strange anomaly, space-time ripples happening in the area. And they're going to investigate. And what they find down there is this big donut and it calls itself the Guardian of Forever. And- uh, Paul Guilfoyle. It's Paul Guilfoyle. Not at all. Um, (laughs) It's Bart LaRue. And uh, look, it's uh, it's this sort of mechanical vestige of an ancient race, um, and it's just sitting there doing what it's programmed to do, which is show the past and allow a an gateway to Paramount
3: movies shit to people who visit the planet. That's well, yes, it's uh, waited for question for a very it's long time for, uh, since very the
1: sun time. burned hot in space. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a magical thing, but it's rooted in in you know, in science, science fiction.
0: Um, I want to so, point out this episode was number one on our first countdown of the 51 greatest Star Trek episodes of all time. In fact, it was called by Scott Mance, I believe, the Citizen Kane of Star Trek. And here we sit at number two, talking about the wrong. city on the edge yes. of the river.
3: And also, like, I mean, look, I, I think no matter what ends up as number one, I would have a hard time imagining Vertigo. anything, like, being it's better. But I got to tell you guys, as great as I think this episode is, as much as I love The Guardian forever, I think it would be so much better if The Guardian were, like, a dude who could just... Guys, why are
0: we... We're talking metaf- about great science fiction television. I, 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 you know, I do not hear your words. <laughs> so they have no meaning to me. So I want to talk about, this is the show and we've always said that celebrates the love. Let's so focus love. on the love here because right. this is, it. I don't want to attach anything else to but the love. city on the edge of forever because the city on the edge of forever looms large in Star Trek history and science fiction history. Um, you know, obviously written by the great Harlan Allison uh, right. rewritten by the great Gene Roddenberry, Gene Kuhn, Dorothy Fontana, and, um, And it is, um, and that is what we celebrate today. Right. And And it's particularly (laughs) ironic because the actual city on the edge of forever is not in the
1: episode.
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) As Harlan wrote it, this guardian of forever was on the outskirts of this city. Right. It was like Poughkeepsie. Yeah,
0: okay. or something.
3: Look, <laughs> the reality
0: is there is no city on the forever without Harlan, and there is no city on the forever without everyone who rewrote Harlan. That's correct. That's it, it, that's there, correct. There's just plenty of credit to go around. Absolutely. Um, and 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 you know the initial idea as as uh, it, you know came from his twisted mind, and I say that with love. Yes. Um, but you know, it was refined and made into a Star Trek episode. A Star Trek episode by the, the the great Gene Kuhn and the great D.C. Fontana and Gene Roddenberry. But but That's I think reality. I want
3: to say that like we we here's the trick we're missing right because we're talking about the time travel and all that other crap. Great, awesome. But the reason why we, we remember this episode, and we talk about it like as a romance. It, it, the reason why it sticks is because of the choice that Captain Kirk makes it the end like whether or not like you buy into the the romance between kirk and edith keeler or not right he makes this incredibly difficult decision where he allows someone to die that he cares about to save the universe to save the universe he knows doctor he knows and let's It's get so the unfair that, it. that he's put in this but, position, yeah.
4: but he must make the tough decision. Yeah.
3: Exactly. That's what the hero. is about.
4: Yeah, and I also have to say that one of the things I loved about this episode as a kid was this planet, these ruins, whoever built this machine, and it is a machine and it's still yeah. taking power from wherever where are they you know the the, the, right. the, the there's this idea that there, in science fiction a lot of science fiction television have these ancient Babylon 5 touched on on these ancient civilizations that are no longer here and it was always intriguing to me that like in 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 all our yesterdays did this did this civilization build the guardian because they needed to escape into the past like what, a guardian says I'm programmed to I can't change I, I offer the, the past in this manner You know, I can't do it any differently. This is how I was made. And it was just intriguing. I was always intrigued by who built the Guardian, why did they build the Guardian, and what happened to them?
3: And there will never be a good answer to that question.
4: Well, and it's interesting because
0: Gene Roddenberry, of course, tried to incorporate the Guardian in his version of Star Trek II, which never happened. Michael Piller, uh, well, actually before Michael Piller, Tracy Torme uh, tried to do an episode with the Guardian. Never happened. Later on, Michael Piller and Harlan Ellison talked about doing an episode of uh, involving the Guardian, which never happened. It was a tough nut to crack. And as a result, it's never been seen in Star Trek again. Well.
3: No. It,
1: it, it, it's never been no. seen in Star Trek again. No. No. <laughs> it, no. Only the love.
0: Only
4: the, the love. The animated series, oh, fellow. That's, right. that's true. Absolutely. Yesterday, right. written You're by Dorothy right. Fontana. And that was another wonderful episode of Star Trek. Yes, it was. Absolutely. Yes. It was indeed. And before we reveal what our number one
0: episode of science fiction television is. I wanna ask you each for an honorary mention, an episode that didn't make our top 101, but easily could have. The, 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 the film, the, the show that you feel, you know, perhaps you should acknowledge before we reveal our number one episode.
4: Who wants to go first? I'm gonna start with you, Rob. Okay, I'm gonna go with not an episode, but a made for TV movie that was written by Richard Matheson, who wrote the Star Trek, the original series episode, The Enemy Within. He wrote the Shatner episode of Twilight Zone, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, one of the great fantasists of the 20th century. He wrote a movie, no, I had not seen Rosemary's Baby, a TV movie that starred Barbara Eden called The Stranger Within. Mm. And it came out in 1974, it was a TV movie, Written by Richard Matheson, and it was about a woman who inexplicably gets pregnant, even though her husband has had a vasectomy. And as she is carrying this baby to term, she's an artist. She starts acting very funny. She, she's eating weird foods. She's painting weird landscapes of places, and and things. She's she's being hypnotized by a psychiatrist. Nobody knows what's 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 up with her. And it, it just is getting very strange and her husband's just going, he's beside himself. And it turns out that she has been impregnated by an alien intelligence. And her baby is half human, half alien, you don't really know. And at the end of the film, she walks off up into the mountains and joins a bunch of other women that are, are, are also pregnant. And they go and they are whisked away and an alien spacecraft to go to their fates. And I remember watching it as a kid and it was one of those things. I saw it on TV and like Star Trek and like Twilight Zone, it was at the same time. And it made me love science fiction because it was kind of a slow burn. It wasn't laser beams or giant monsters. It was psychology.
0: Nice. Great, great. Okay, and Ashley, what's your honorary mention?
3: My honorable mention uh, is an episode of a show that I actually think is is one of like the best, smartest science fiction series of all time. Um, It also happens to be incredibly funny, incredibly sardonic uh, and animated. Uh, It's an episode of a little show I think some listeners of this podcast have heard of called Rick and Morty. Uh, And the episode in question is Pickle Rick, which is just the the premise of the episode is that in order to avoid family therapy, Rick, the titular hero, turns himself into a pickle and uh, goes on this insane, amazing adventure where he has Kung Fu battles with rats as a pickle Uh, gets himself into one insane situation after another until finally he cannot avoid um, the most difficult conversation of his life, which is the, the conversation with his family and his therapist. And the therapist is played by Susan Sarandon. Now, in every episode of this series, Rick always wins. He defeats every antagonist. He overcomes every obstacle. And what's special about Pickle Rick is that it is the only episode of Rick and Morty where Rick loses and he loses to Susan Sarandon. He loses to his therapist who forces him to really confront um, his own bullshit and the way that it has affected the people around him and the people he loves, his relationship with his daughter. Um, It's an incredibly emotional episode. And at the same time, it's screamingly funny and it's oh so smart and it's oh so wonderful. Um, Rick and Morty's Pickle Rick.
0: And Darren, what's your pick for an honorary mention? My original pick for
1: this was the original series episode, The Cage. But the cage is a failure. The cage was never picked up. If the cage had been all that there was, there would be no more. Um, And it's only because... it
0: was, but not anymore. It's only
1: because the the network uh, got a second pilot out of them. Uh, that Star Trek became a series. However, the cage is the seed, the space seed for <laughs> two amazing episodes that uh, Gene Roddenberry did uh, a, 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 a surround rewrite for, as he did on the pilot for Next Generation. Um, and he put the, the events of the cage into a format where the new cast could look at it and we along with them. Uh, and he created the, um, the fiction of a court martial for Spock, trying to save his old captain uh, from a fate worse than death. Uh, and it's amazing how this integrates uh, into uh, the canon of Star Trek, how it extends the universe of Star Trek so well because the cage looks like an older version of star Trek. And it's amazing how well it works, even though it's they're only a couple years apart. And it's really fascinating how the menagerie parts one and two weaves this original episode into our star Trek, our series. And it's so well done and it's amazing. And I love it.
0: And it's number two. great an absolutely great choice my pick would be exodus the uh the biblical story of moses no <laughs> it's, uh, exodus, you're calling that course. science fiction i understand <laughs> the uh, exodus is um which was also a great uh two-parter on Ballister galactica but my pick is exodus a uh, two-part uh first uh season finale of uh lost it was a second season. It's one of the great uh, first seasons of television ever um, It is uh, basically we found out about the others. We need to open the hatch to try and uh, find safety and uh, the episode and the season ends uh, with Michael and uh, uh, a few others from the island escaping on a homemade raft. And it looks like they're finally. Uh, the Professor and Gilligan are going to get off the island Doop. and uh, get to safety when they come across a boat, which they think is going to be their salvation, only to find out these people are the others. And they take Michael's child. And it's it's one of the most... It Talk about pulling the rug out from under you. And then the Mandalorian
1: a, has to go and search for
0: him. No way. <laughs> baby Michael. But uh, Exodus is a fantastic two-parter, capping a fantastic season of Lost. And that's my pick for honorary mention. Now that brings us to our number one. Time for number one. Hmm. Science fiction television show of all time. And for number one, the Trexperts have selected from the reboot of Battlestar Galactica oh. 33. Darren, Here we go. tell us why.
1: Because this episode took my opinion of the uh, of the original uh, the original version of the reboot which was the the, the telemovie um, which I didn't like the miniseries the miniseries I didn't like it i thought it was i thought it was uh, off I thought the uh, tone was goofy I thought that the it was too uh i, I did I don't know why I didn't like it but okay. the, the, amazing thing, here. the amazing thing was, when I saw 33, which was the first regular episode of the series, I was completely and unabashedly entranced by it and pulled in. The storytelling in it is so good. The tension is so good. The uh, emotions and the characters interact so well. And the, the ticking clock is literal. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how well it works, and I don't know what the difference is, but it's there. And it sold me on the series.
0: Well, it's so funny you say that because uh, I think Rob, you were with me. We'd gotten a hold of um, an early version of the Battlestar Galactica miniseries. We watched it at the office. Yeah, um, I was there too. It was. It was yeah. It was a DVD. <laughs> it was unfinished effects, yes. and um, we watched. It was K. Rindell, Steve Melching. Yep. Rob, you, a couple other people, and you know we were all huge Battlestar Galactica fans, so we were very excited about the reboot, and we were huge Ron Moore fans. Mm-hmm. And I all remember being absolutely heartbroken that we felt that the miniseries was so unsatisfying and yeah. cheap-looking, and, and and just a big disappointment. So when the show was greenlit, I think we all had very low expectations, and it wasn't for due the to the lack
1: of finished effects either.
0: Yeah, I mean, just performances, the yeah. story, Vancouver. It just fell Caprica. off. Yeah. Uh, so 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 when 33 uh, uh, premiered, we all went into it with extremely low expectations. And in retrospect, it's very interesting. It's the one episode of television that Ron Moore ever wrote without an outline. Mm-hmm. He was under the gun. They were deciding whether or not to greenlight the series. He had to write uh, a first episode. And he wrote 33 sort of, you know, just off the cuff. Chain of, chain, you know, ch- uh, the stream, stream of of consciousness. Yeah, which is, you know, uh, which uh, I'm sure Ashley will tell you is not an easy thing to do in television because you got to do outbreaks and you got to, you know, it, it's it's really remarkable. The fact of the matter is 33 is such a remarkable hour of television television. And it is such a a brilliant distillation of everything that is great about the Battlestar Galactica reboot, which in no way negates what was great about the original series, but um, it's so intense. It's a pressure cooker and um, uh, it's something we hadn't seen. I think the sheer originality, because we've all seen warp drive and hyperspace, the idea that they make these jumps and that the um, Cylons are able to track them uh, wherever they jump to, and the sheer exhaustion that everyone is experiencing. And then ultimately the very, uh, um, uh, you know, tragic um, decision that uh, Adama has to make and his son has to execute, which is the destruction of the Olympic carrier um, uh, in order, which they feel is what's allowing them to track their jumps um, and that he's gonna have to destroy and potentially uh, kill many innocent people in the process. It is it is a phenomenal episode, and we really get a sense of who these characters are. And uh, it's a new way of um, shooting sci-fi as well. A lot of handheld, a lot of natural light. Um, it, it shot a uh, very cinema verite. Even the special effects are, are are shot documentary style with these snap zooms and everything. So it really broke the paradigm that we had been so used to from Star Trek for so many years, and and other shows all tended to follow. Um, it's a groundbreaking show, and uh, it, it's an amazing hour of television. It's our pick for the number one greatest sci-fi episode of all time.
9: We have new orders. We are directed to destroy the Olympic carrier and return to Galactica. It's a civilian ship.
0: Yeah, a civilian ship with noose.
4: I don't see anybody in there, do you?
7: The silence will be here any second. If we're gonna do this, it just do it. Starbuck, form up with me. We'll make one
2: pass from astern.
9: Lee, what if you're wrong?
7: Lee, come on. Okay, fire on my mark.
0: No fracking way, Lee.
6: Lee! Come on! Mark.
0: So say we all. For this year. (laughs) <laughs> for this year is it still 2020 because i feel like we've been recording these for 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 a couple of years now guys
1: we're and, pushing eight hours on this baby i like for them. those
0: I of think you who do, are like, wondering
1: top 50 top 50 lists
0: for, for for those of you who wondered how your favorite shows stacked up uh, devs won uh one nomination for the series uh the boys one episode millennium one episode blake seven one episode hill street blues one episode all altered carbon one episode the flash the 1990 flash one episode the greatest american hero um three episodes wow now now and again one episode ultraman one episode darkroom one episode my favorite martian one episode the mandalorian one episode Planet of the Apes TV series, one episode. Giant Robo, one episode. Quantum Leap, one episode. The Bionic Woman, one episode. Torchwood, one episode. The Prisoner, one episode. Twin Peaks, The Return, one episode. Twin Peaks, The Original, one episode. Stranger Things, one episode. Angel, one episode. Babylon 5, surprisingly, one episode. I think World Without End and Into the Fire could have easily made it, but one episode. Space Above and Beyond, one episode. The Expanse, one episode star blazers don't sing it rob one episode airwolf thanks ashley one episode futurama one episode farscape one episode v the original miniseries uh black mirror one episode the lathe of heaven walking the walking dead one episode the outer limits one episode the handmaid's tale one episode Watchmen. the one episode doctor who one episode firefly one episode Rebels, Star Wars Rebels. We're gonna count this as one episode, even though it's a two-parter. Same with the Clone Wars, we will count the arc as one episode. Wonder Woman, one episode. UFO, two episodes. Clone Wars, again, we're counting, if we count them as arcs, it's two arcs. Uh, Star Trek Voyager, two episodes. Lost, two episodes. X-Files, two episodes. The Incredible Hulk, two episodes. The Six Million Dollar Man, two episodes. Buck Rogers in the Twenty Fifth Century, two episodes. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer, three episodes. Wow. Lost in Space, three episodes. Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. I don't think this is right. This is three episodes. I think it's more no, than. I, I, think that. It's, I think it's. I think five. it's like four. I think yeah. it's. Yeah. I, I, okay. Uh, my assistant Peter, you're fired. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones, three episodes. Battlestar Galactica, the original series, three episodes. Deep Space Nine, four episodes. With five episodes. The Twilight Zone, Battlestar Galactica 2004, five episodes, The Next Generation, six episodes, and the winner, with nine episodes represented in our countdown, to no one's surprise, the original series. Wow. Wow. Great list, guys.
4: We're out of it. That's pretty
0: good. (laughs) I have to say that is a pretty spectacular undertaking we've just accomplished. Let's not try to do it in two days again. (laughs)
3: or or three hours right the next time somebody says we can do this in three hours guys let's just smack the crap out of that person let's give it a scotty uh uh, estimate what are you most
0: surprised by i'm actually most surprised doctor who was only one episode to be honest i'm I'm not not. (laughs) (laughs) i'm
3: I'm most surprised that the greatest american hero clocked in twice (laughs) yeah It's pretty amazing, The Greatest
0: American Hero, not a show that is often discussed, and yet two episodes on our countdown is pretty amazing, and a number one hit. So Casey Kasem would be pleased. Ah, I can't believe (laughs) Airwolf
4: Airwolf is on this list. That's an embarrassment, Ashley.
0: (laughs) Airwolf rules. Airwolf. This can be very interesting to see what the listeners have to say. Um, because, of course, I'm sure they'll weigh in with their opinions of shows we may have missed or shows they feel uh, don't warrant inclusion on our countdown. And unfortunately,
1: while this episode is playing, we can't hear you shouting at us. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> or fortunately <laughs> yeah. I just fortunately. <laughs> it didn't live long fortunately
3: I, I'm not surprised that Space 1999 made this list a couple of times I am surprised that Space 1999 I, I think was like number two or three in the total number of ep- like as many episodes as it got onto this list, even though we all love Space
4: 1999 I, well, this, I'm shocked <laughs> what about all I the mean, shows we didn't mention you know, like what, Lex Rob? Lex Mm-hmm. Yeah! Oh, my God! Come on! What? Well,
0: you know, in science fiction, there's a fan of all this stuff, so I'm sure every obscure show... Oh, I mean, Sliders, uh, we didn't have any Sliders uh, episodes How about the Stargate franchise?
3: Oh, we're going to get hammered for that, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I know. Come on, it's so Canadian. Did I say that out
6: <laughs> yeah. loud? Whoops. You know what? Uh, to be honest, i got
4: to tell you, I, I'm going to admit something to you guys. I have never, ever, i would never watched any of the Stargate TV shows. Ever. They're fine. Until this- until this week I watched the pilot and Uh I liked it what prompted you to
0: what what prompted you
4: you know what it's on Netflix and on my show on on Rob observations I get hammered almost weekly for people that are like how can you've never watched Stargate you'd like it And I'm like I like the movie but I don't like the fact that Dean Devlin the man who created Stargate who's our our benefactor has he got screwed you know, they got mm-hmm. screwed out of one of the biggest television science fiction franchises ever. That nothing they, had nothing to do with the TV show. That's right. That they created. So mm-hmm. I maybe I, I've had an aversion to Stargate for that reason. But I did watch. I did watch the pilot, which is a sequel to the movie. And they set up some really interesting mythology. And I liked it.
3: There's
4: boobs. Out. I, I, I'm shocked about Space 1999 and by, coming in so high. Don't be um, shocked. It's a
0: great show. Relax, it's okay. Ah, Look, I know, (laughs) I know. You know, this is so funny because I was the one who was encouraging us to cover Space Nineteen Ninety Nine on the show. You were, but I wasn't. That it was only because I find it a fascinating, um, uh, uh, a fascinating moment in in sci fi history. Yeah, exactly. But I don't consider it particularly good. So it's amazing that um, we had so many, so many shows here. And, and I, saw, I think some would, would be shocked that uh, the original Battlestar Galactica uh, was represented with three episodes of, 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 I think it was seventeen episodes that were produced.
4: There's that's no frame. There's no Andromeda, there. and Ashley
0: worked on those shows. Nope. There's no frame. No, Sarah Connor. I know. I no there. Sarah, Sarah Connor Connor. Chronicles. Yeah, that's true.
1: Well, we uh, could have a whole new episode just talking about what we didn't
0: talk about in the. But we won't, because we'll be back with an all new episode of Inglorious Trexperts. But we really appreciate you sticking with us through these four special holiday uh, episodes in which we counted down the 101 greatest sci-fi episodes of all time. Jam, did we get it right? (laughs) Did we get it right? I don't know. You let us know. Oh,
4: but until you're gonna get mail for this one. Oh
3: boy! Mail. Three hours of content, though.
4: Email.
0: Send a self-addressed stamped envelope
4: <laughs> to Boston, Mass. O oh, two one three four. Send it to Zoom.
0: Well, look, and the, the <laughs> takeaway is, if you can get your hands on the lathe of Heaven, do it. You won't be disappointed, right? Is that the takeaway That's right. Takeaway. Okay. Have an so effective until... dream about getting a Blu-ray. So new of episodes of Inglorious. New <laughs> new episodes of Inglorious Trekkers. Uh, I drop every Friday at 10 o'clock, um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Sometimes earlier. You can also watch us on the Electric Now uh, streaming app. Uh, download that at your favorite app store, along with our sister podcast, The Best Movies Never Made, The 430 Movie, Two on Who, and many others. So check those out. Where uh, on the Electric Surge video podcast app, and that's at Electric Now. And you can also write to us at Trek. On Twitter or Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram. So until then, I want to thank Ashley and Rob for joining us for this marathon countdown as we counted down the 101 greatest sci fi and fantasy television episodes of all time. Darren, we did it. Everyone have a happy holiday and a much happier 2021. Get vaccinated. Hopefully, we can put this in the rearview mirror and uh, get back into the studio sometime in 2021. Which May be you really find nice. your way as pleasant. And keep on trekking. ingloriously, of course.
7: There must be some way out of here Said the Joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Man, they drink my wine.